Hello, well, everyone. Started... Welcome back. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Uh oh, whoa. Uh -oh. <laughs> I, I like to have a little bit of a pause there. Okay. I'll All right. The pause. Go ahead. Okay, I'm leaving a pause. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Millsurf World podcast. I'm your host today, Danny. Uh, we are joined by Aaron and a special guest, uh, May from CN Arsenal. Say hello. Hello. Thank hello. you for having me. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, I'm sorry. I uh, I somehow missed any messages that I think you sent me a message through Facebook. I think I found it. Facebook likes to bury my messages in weird ways now, so that's that's fun to find out. Yeah, like a unsolicited unsolicited message like that. I think it it buries it like two two layers deep. Yeah, and unfortunately, I don't go on Facebook that often. I keep it because we have I think maybe two contacts that go through Facebook only, and they have a home phone. And I don't understand how they manage to get things done in their life, but somehow <laughs> they do. A home phone? What is that? I know, a landline. And it's, it's like Tau Flatermouse over there. <laughs> well, I guess we will start out with the first question. This is the question we ask everybody, which is, um, how did you get into military surplus me? So um, just for context, I, I've already known how to shoot since I was little. I think I recall maybe being five and my father handing me a shotgun and, and basically telling me to shoot at a stump just as my test shot. And I did okay. And then, you know, he took me hunting and stuff like that. So I, I was familiar with guns. So it wasn't something that I just kind of picked up um, just out of the blue. But uh, I fell apart. I kind of fell off them in college. Um, didn't really uh, pick them up again until I met Othias. And he had just happened to come across a, a Mosin of a buddy of his, and he loved it. And then you want to learn about history and, you know, how some people that kind of makes them spiral down the rabbit hole of, okay, what's all the information on this thing? He's one of those guys that he really likes to collect all the details on in case you couldn't tell. And yeah. uh, he and I met in college and um, became pretty fast friends and, I was, I, he'd just ramble on, you know, for hours at me about, oh, I learned this, that, and the other, and this one's about this, and this is about that. Like, he would just basically tell me all these different stories or things he'd come across and the weird bits of misinformation that he might have figured out from from cross-referencing other books and things like that. Um, and then uh, it was actually when we uh, we were introduced to the Great War. So he had been released, Othias had already been releasing some articles online and we'd already been taking some really nice photography in our light box. So we were known like on Reddit and online in general for our, our photography and just the bits of information we were putting out there. The great war reached out and they were like, Hey, we're thinking of uh, bringing some of the guns into our history channel that we're already doing. And for anyone who's not familiar with the great war on YouTube, definitely check them out. Um, they do a world war one series where um, they released uh, what happened in world war one for that week. You know, once a week they did that. And they're moving into World War II now and things like that. So they're getting pretty interesting. But uh, they were like, we're, we're wanting to bring the guns into it. We've heard about you guys. Would you be interested in partnering with us to, to essentially give us the background on these guns and even demonstrate them? You know, tell us about them. And we're like, oh, yeah, that sounds, that sounds great. But, you know, we, don't, we won't, haven't done video or anything yet. We were thinking of getting into that, but we haven't actually even tested it yet. When were you thinking of, of actually doing this? And they let us know, they were like, oh, we were thinking about getting started up in the next two months. Oh. And yeah, we were, uh, we were not wholeheartedly prepared for that. 
And basically it started a mad scramble where Athias got all the equipment together and everything ready for the data. And he looked at me and he went, you, how tall are you? And I went, well, I think I'm five, seven. And we measured it in confirmation. You know, I actually am five, seven right on the dot. And he went, you are the perfect height for the average world war one soldier. And you are here. Would you be willing to shoot these guns for me? And of course I couldn't say no. So that's basically And of course that's something Othias just knows. Huh? I said of course that's something Othias just knows, the average height of the World War One soldier. Oh yeah. That that is something that he just, you know, of course in all of his research he just remembered it off the top of his head. That dude for details, man. It's crazy some of the stuff he remembers. So yeah, basically ended up getting pulled into it as the shooter shooting ended up uh snowballing into uh photography and everything else but yeah that's basically how i ended up falling into the mil the military surplus area was that i was the perfect height and i was there and he needed somebody at the drop of a hat so that's basically how it worked out and i enjoyed the shooting already that was already something i thoroughly enjoyed just as a, a general hobby by then yeah that's just what you call right place at the right time right literally and then, um, basically, it just, we picked it up from there. He became so busy. And then turns out, after all of that was getting so prepped that quickly for the Great War, they didn't even uh, air the footage until about seven months after that. Oh, wow. Yeah, I, I was going to say, I was going to say, I remember seeing the footage and seeing, like, the stuff with Althias, and it was like, it wasn't, it was very far into their stuff. It wasn't like right at the beginning or in the middle or something. It was like pretty far into it, wasn't it? Yeah, I don't even remember what exactly it was. It was some sort of issue that they had on their end as far as uh, I, I think this, there was an issue with the studio or something like that, but basically they were like, we're going to have to push back our first airing. We went, well, we've already promised, we've already said that we're going to do this to people. And now that we've said we're going to do it, you know, the episodes once every two weeks, we went, yeah, we're, we're going to have to do this. We, we can't wait for you guys now. And they went, all right, well, just go ahead. We'll do it whenever we can. And then basically, I think, yeah, you were right. We were probably into maybe like uh, half a dozen episodes before they even finally aired the footage. And we what sucks is that we were looking at it and we were hustling to get what we managed to get done. And it really kind of sucks because that first, and we, we've redone the episode since. So the footage is now spot on perfect. But if we'd actually had time to really take our time to get the right footage or the perfect footage or, or really go through the scripts to make sure we had everything we wanted there, those first few episodes would have been baller compared to what they were. Which is that why is that why you've gone and redone some of the original ones? Yeah, that is why. So we've redone the first two, um, which the second episode actually ended up splitting into two episodes, which is kind of funny. Um, and then uh, I think we did redid episode five with the Gewehr. Um, we don't. We plan on redoing um, the Reich's Revolver as well, but I don't think we plan on redoing much else in those first ten episodes. But we did want to make sure, since more information has come to light as for the guns, um, we wanted to make sure we revisited the ones that we were the most ashamed of, basically. Wait, the Reich's I Revolver, mean, even... that's your favorite, right? Oh, God, yeah, super favorite. Love that. <laughs> Safety, oh, the hammer, oh, the reach, the grip, everything. Fantastic. Oh, it's, your, it's, your, it's the perfect pistol for hammering nails. 
So perfect. It, the gasser might be the only one that is possibly more perfect for it with that heavy, heavy as heck iron frame. Yeah. I was going to say, even even you guys' like first videos is much higher quality than a lot of the gun videos, you know, on, on YouTube anyway. So well, I um, appreciate the compliment. We were not as proud of it at the time. I don't but think I'm anybody glad. is ever really proud of their first stuff. I refuse to go back to listen to old podcasts, if I'll be honest with you. God, yeah. We only just I mean, my started. first videos were... We I've seen them. Yeah. I haven't seen yours, actually. I don't think I've seen the, the first few pod or heard the first few podcasts, is what I mean. Well, the podcast is a bit yeah. different, but Danny started... When did you start your your channel, Danny, when you were 1920? Oh, uh, I started my channel... <laughs> I started it... I, I think 10 or 11 years ago or something, I did a, uh, I did like a, a, a dirt torture test on a, uh, on an HK uh, USP. And it was just the, just the worst, worst quality, worst camera. Didn't have a tripod. It was just terrible, but it was, it was the only one uh, like on the internet of an HK USP, you know, being torture tested. So I torture tested another pistol, like right after that. Um, and that's just, I got a lot of views, I guess, because it was the only one of its type. And then I just started slowly making more over the years. But I've only been seriously, you know, making videos for maybe the past like five years or something like that. Yeah, that uniqueness, though, even if the video quality isn't all there, it can really, it can drive the views, like you said. I mean, we did that video on the ALOS. We weren't expecting it to get the the spread that it did for viewership. It was crazy. And when it's the only video out there, yeah, that's going to drive traffic to your channel like insanity. Yeah, I think, Danny, yeah. your 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 most popular video is the M1, right? Yeah. yeah. For some reason, that one, I guess it just hit the YouTube algorithm just right or something because it's a top five video and it's about, you know, the M1 Garen. So it's like, you know, one of the most popular serps. And for some reason, I couldn't believe it. Like I checked it randomly and then it was it was like just at over a million views. I was like, what the heck? It's crazy what makes it through the YouTube algorithm, and it never makes sense what makes it through. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, he I has never... a. The other one that I know that Danny loves to to talk about too is because he gets such random comments. Is the is the fake nineteen eleven the Filipino made one? Oh yeah, yeah. That's like my third most viewed video. Yeah, the fake the fake nineteen eleven. That's like this like homemade fake Colt nineteen eleven. That just everything about it is. It's just so cattywampus. Um, the grip, the grip is like they're made of wood, but they're meant to look like plastic, and it uses like Phillips head screws, and it's it's all just close enough that at a glance you'll think it's a real one, but like when you really look at it. But then, that was just a weird. Um, I was going to say that the 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 funny part was is that you have like every other comment is I'm from the Philippines. Thanks for talking about us. Oh yeah. Yeah, that video got such a high amount of viewership from the Philippines. Like when I looked at my demographics, I was like, holy crap, like 30% of my channel views is from the Philippines. Like what's going on here? And it's, yeah, it's that video. So yeah, a lot of the people were commenting like, oh yeah, that gun's, you know, those are made in my village and that's called a so-and-so. And, um, and that one really caught traction in the, the Filipino YouTube Milser market. Man, that's weird. Yeah, it's just random. Like what what pops up and YouTube algorithm because I mean, there's a couple of videos that I made and I was like, okay, yeah, these for sure, you know, it's going to catch on, you know, uh, but it just never did. Um, 
like my uh, the video on the the Belgian issued Ottoman 1893. It's got like no views. So it's the only one. It's like that's like the only rifle probably in the U.S. And it's like the only video on that specific Belgian reissued gun. And it's like it's got it's got nothing. It's weird. Yeah, it's like um, what's weird is uh, we did the episode on some of the Portuguese rifles. And for some reason, I'm not sure why YouTube hates them. YouTube actually ended up uh, almost trying to strike us on them just because they thought there was something about them that was completely inappropriate for audiences. And we had to go through and we managed to get it all approved and okayed after a while. But I don't know what it was, but for some reason, they just blacklisted them as really dangerous things compared to everything else we've had on the channel. I mean, shoot, we've shot the veterally that that 70, 87, 15 that's converted to converted to 65 Kakarno. Yeah, and they yeah. were fine with that. But no, the Portuguese Mausers. Oh, God. <laughs> that thing blew up. I know. Two, <laughs> two of them blew two up. Times. Horrible stuff. I, w- I wonder if, like, if the uh, Vigero is like some type of slang term in, in Portugal that means something vulgar or it's just some something like that, random. I, we uh, never could figure it out. And YouTube never gave us, of course, an actual reason because that's impossible. Oh, no, they don't. I was well, wondering. I, I, yeah. I wonder if maybe just somebody just had it out for something that said Portuguese and it was just like, that. screw this. Maybe. All right. I'm so I will, ashamed of the rifle. What's what's our next topic? Danny, I've went off on a weird uh, tangent. Okay. <laughs> uh, so um, the next question is, uh, what is your favorite era of Millsurps? I know, you know, the show kind of focuses on, you know, World War One and pre-World War One Millsurps in particular. But just what, you know, what era or, you know, maybe just era nationality is your your favorite in Millsurps? Well, um, currently it's actually been in the black powder era that I've been more focused on. So um, we're we're gearing up to start a repercussion series for CN Arsenal, which means we've been collecting, um, you know, Colt Patterson's, uh, Walker's, things of that nature. Um, and normally when I when I get to the shooting range, you know, it's just standard ammo's already pre-done, loaded as far as uh, prep for me. So I just you know, pop her in the gun, shoot the gun. It's fine. Everything usually just processes like normal. But when we started to get into the black powder stuff, there's kind of a, there's a different feel to it. It's, it's kind of like the difference between, I suppose some people will compare smoking a cigarette to smoking a pipe. There's like a process that goes with it. You know, you load in the tobacco, um, you tamp it down, you light it. Like there's a whole like feel and an effort to it. And it's just been very pleasant and it's been really slow and it's, it's very relaxing compared to, to everything else we've really had to get into. And it's kind of been a nice change of pace, especially going from things like, you know, having to load up, you know, several rounds for like machine guns and things like that, or just little five round clips or whatever. It's, it's, it's relaxing. So that's been my favorite currently. Wow. That's a really good analogy about how loading a black powder is kind of like, Loading a pipe. Well, I, I I have pipe tobacco that I smoke as well. That was the best thing that I could think of in terms of a comparison. Like I realized it the other day sitting on the porch that that would just be a nice thing to have with it. I mean, yeah. I wouldn't because you know, not a good thing to have a lighter right there with all that. It makes it makes total sense now that I think of it. I, I smoke a pipe as well, and uh, that's that's crazy. That's a, that's a really good analogy. If you don't you have powder pistols. You should totally get into it. It is very chill. I was just looking at some for sale at the gun show today, like reproduction ones, you know, like the non-gun 
buck powder mm-hmm. pistols and they're they're pretty like affordable it's like yeah. 175 bucks 200 bucks to get into it now i have noticed um with all the craziness going on uh caps are starting to go pretty quickly too so if you're gonna get into it go ahead and get your caps now which is kind of crazy that those are starting to go yeah quick. yeah that's weird must just be something in the supply chain it has to be i mean there's only what two two manufacturers that are doing primers in general across the united states so i don't know how many are doing the caps like i don't know how many are set up for that but um mm. yeah we, we, we've already colt patterson in uh 36 caliber and it's just it's it, honestly i will say I, i'm enjoying that one but i think the walker that we have in 44 is a little bit more pleasant just because that thing weighs so much that it practically cocks itself when you go up to <laughs> the hammer but wow yeah, that's yeah I've, I've got to play with the colt walker one time and it is a big honking gun oh yeah they're massive but yeah you just go out there end of the day after a whole day of shooting and that's like the thing you finish off with yeah, it's just nice cool that's really that's that's neat. I might have to start really seriously considering them now. That I did not expect that answer at all. I thought maybe like you know World War Two or something like that. But. Yeah, I guess it is true. It is kind of a bit unusual, especially considering like I collect Swiss rifles and um, considering everything else I get into, even with like the machine guns and things like that. No, 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 no. The black powder is where it's at. That's where you can relax at the end of the day. There's no sweating that. I have considered getting yeah. into the. I really would like to reload for my 1886 Mon and um, but I don't have anything. I've not had any experience in loading black powder cartridges, so yeah, I can't say. Uh, we haven't done. Uh, we haven't pre-set up loads for them, like as far as in little paper loads um, for the for the Walker or the or the Cole Patterson. We haven't done that. We just take powder flask with us to the range and just load them up there. Yeah. You're going further back even than me. I'm, I'm a, I'm a talic case black yeah. powder. I should give you some, I, I still have a bunch of original, uh, 11 millimeter Brundle. I should give you some of that. I don't know why on the clips and everything. Why is that so common? Yeah. yeah. It's weird. I saw, you know, when I, when you, when you look for this ammo for sale, like if you wanted it, it would be kind of expensive, like Liberty tree, forgot how much they want for their um for their you know a millimeter verndal like in the original box and everything but i just came across a guy at a show and he just had like a like an ammo can full of it and he it was just it was so cheap that i was like okay well i'm buying all of this oh nice um, yeah didn't i make yeah. you buy a My, bunch uh, of birthday clips too yeah yeah you did yeah that was at a show in in washington this tiny little show in washington state and yeah, that guy, he, yeah, it was just, he had a box of like three and five shot Bertier clips full of ammo. Like they all had ammo on them or in them. And yeah, I forgot how much he wanted, like $5, $5 a clip or something like that for the three and the fives. So you were like, buy those. So I just bought them all. Um, it's because I could see into the future and predict that they were going to be very expensive very soon. Oh, yeah. <laughs> God, yeah. only... Yeah, we could kick ourselves and go back to all the gun shows we've been to, you know, five years back even. The difference we could make. I mean, I found a, a Swiss K31, um, the cardboard charger. I found one in like a junk bin at a show one time and I paid a dollar for it. Oh, I love those junk bins. Those can 
your best find. Yeah, he didn't even know what it was. He's like, what is this? And I go, it's for a oh, Swiss no, K31. Yeah. They never do. If it's in the bin, they probably don't know what it is. And I, I love yeah. those. I swear, there is one guy at um, the South Carolina shows that I, I hate going to his table, but he has these bins and he's got the bins like set aside essentially just springs you know, uh, the levers, like whatever, like he's got them labeled as that, but then you open it and it's just full of a bunch of random ones and you sift through it, you pull it out, you hand it to him, ask him how much he then goes and like, looks it up. Like he'll sit there and stand with it for 10 minutes trying to figure out what it goes to. And then he charges you what he can find an online price comparison with. Oh, I hate that. Yep. Yep. I hate going to his table, but damn, he does have pretty much everything. (sighs) I, I hate it when vendors do that, when they don't have prices on stuff. And then when you're interested, then they look it up and then they're like, okay, it's, it's this much. Yeah. Like if you're going to take the time to look it up at that point, you may as well pre-label it with a price. Yeah. Well, that's too much work. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm really surprised. I'm going to go on a little rant here. I'm really surprised right. how many people like at gun shows are lazy. Like how many of the vendors that work there are really lazy. Because if you go there, like they don't want to do anything like if you or even like a gun store, you could call a gun store. Um, I've seen, you know, you know, heard of or seen deals online at like a certain gun store and I call them and they don't want to like do the business over the phone. It's like too much work for them. Yeah. To, like have to look at the gun and take pictures. It's such a it's such a weird thing that like so many like <laughs> there's so many like lazy like vendors. Um, and I only say that because like I've seen that. I was just going to say, you think they want to make the sale. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. It's so weird. And yeah. Okay. Tangent rant over. Um, uh, Danny, I just looked it up. It's $55 for a box of uh, 11 millimeter Burndle on Liberty Tree. Okay. Yeah. And it was, I don't know. I'm thinking like $10 get, a box or something that I paid. You get 10, 10 shots and uh, two clips. Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah, with those those you know those clipazines are pretty pretty pricey too, like on their own. Um, but like, that's, who who has an eighteen eighty six? That's even the price that it is now. I wonder what it was like before um, all these issues with ammo started cropping up. Like, I wonder what the price was even just last year. The difference. Yeah, I think a batch maybe came in, like a batch of eleven uh, millimeter Brindle came in from South America. Is what I'm is what I'm thinking. Um, because the Chileans, yeah. they use the, the Chileans were big on it yeah. for a long time. Yeah. Like surprising the Chileans ordered specifically 1886s, like even after, you know, the 1890s and, you know, the, the whole like, you know, eight millimeter monlickers and everything were like a thing. They would buy those and then they would also buy 1886s and 11 millimeter. Like they would buy both. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, Danny, just, Danny, you looked into this, didn't you? We talked about this the other day or something, that Chile was, like, really heavily invested into Monlicker and then suddenly went into Mauser. Yeah, yeah, they, they were. Yeah, Chile was really big into, uh, because during their little civil war, uh, or I shouldn't say little, but, it, you know, it's probably big to them, but during their civil war, they used a lot of Monlickers. So everybody used them, and everybody was like, oh, yeah, these, these things are, you know, great. You know, especially for, like, the 1880s. And then, um, yeah, at least everybody, you know, started adopting Mausers in South America. And it was one of those things where if all the countries around them adopted Mausers, well, then they're going to adopt a Mauser, too. So, OK, we'll we'll go to the next question here. Um, 
So you just kind of mentioned, you know, you owned the uh, the Swiss rifles that were on the show. Um, like how many how many of the guns in the show do you guys actually own? And like, you know, how many of them are just kind of loners? So the uh, the wall looks pretty full to you guys, right? If, if you all have seen the if oh, yeah. there are two. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's pretty filled up. I would say probably about on the wall itself, maybe one in 12 of those we own, maybe one in 10. The rest of those are either loaners that have come in on shipment or they're from a buddy of ours who lives near us um, to just kind of help us fill in the wall. Now, we have been gearing up um, for the repercussion series and for a future shotgun series that we plan on doing that aren't on the wall itself that we do own. Mostly because um, the uh, the shotgun series that we're gearing up to do is going to require us to have have to hold on to pieces for a long period of time, and we didn't want you know us to have to hold somebody's gun for like two years or however long we needed to hold on to it before we could go out and get the footage because we plan on filming a bunch of them at once. Yeah. So yeah, we probably only own maybe one in 12, maybe one in 10. That's only starting to increase just because of all the shotguns we've been buying lately. And even at that, yeah, some of those guns are only parts guns for other shotguns. So some of them aren't even in firing condition, even at that. Yeah, I can, I can imagine what kind of stuff you run into with a lot of those old shotguns. Is that for uh, CNR pumped? Is that what it's called? fully decided on a name as of yet um we've thrown around some things here and there and if you if anyone's been in our discord i'm sure they've seen othias in there throwing around logo ideas with a buddy of his um but uh yeah it's 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 going to be for that shotgun series so that one's probably not going to start filming until next year we now officially have the first five we need to get going but we're trying to actually accumulate all of the pieces that we're going to have for this set period of time we plan on doing. Makes sense. Yeah. We're doing like, I think, um, I want to say 1886 until 1920-ish maybe. And then we'll probably break off into another um, set after that. But we're just doing, uh, we're just focusing on repeaters right now. So are these going to be series, the percussion and then the shotguns, are these going to be series that are kind of, go alongside the like the milserp uh, series or yeah so the repercussion is um it's going to well not go alongside it so the repercussion series would replace a primer episode um but the shotgun series we plan on doing will actually be alongside it so essentially it would just post the following week or something like that but that one actually we are so this is what we're doing uh, what we wish we could have done for primer we are preparing and making sure we have all the guns we need. They're going to be in working order. We're going to make sure we have the research that we need for it. And we're going to make sure we already have all the outdoor filming for um, a fair bit of them already taken care of before we release the episodes on them. Yeah. Nice. Nice. So, yeah. yeah. It's actually nice that we're going to be able to do that. Now I think we'll, we'll probably do is we'll the patrons that we have on um, Patreon subscribe star, they'll probably get the first looks at everything that we're doing because we, uh, we plan on going a little more in depth for it. Um, not in depth for it. We plan on going and we plan on uh, setting it up essentially different from Primer. It's not going to look the same as Primer. Um, but it, I think it still will be very engaging. I think people will like it. It's going to be shorter than Primer, too. We're not going to be doing those uh, hour long episodes that 
some of our fans thoroughly appreciate and some tune out after about 20 minutes. Yeah. It's just about getting that, that right balance. Exactly. Keeping everybody's attention, which is a really uphill battle these days. God, Yeah. Some people, their attention span can only be about five minutes. And even at that, I, these episodes for the shotgun stuff, we're probably only going to have them maybe be 15 minutes max. Oh, Oh, that's really, that's a nice digestible size. Mm -hmm. Well, that's why we also didn't want them to replace the primer episodes because they would, uh, they would be too short and they honestly just, they aren't going to be structured the same as we already have set for primer. So we wouldn't want people to feel like they're getting less for it. And since I've come on working full-time with C and Arsenal this past year, it's a schedule has opened up with me on just enough that we think we're going to be able to essentially produce them, you know, concurrently. Wow. Yeah. That'd be, that'd be really cool. Um, I've, I've definitely gotten used to the hour long, uh, you know, primer, primer episodes. So yeah. Well, don't worry. Those aren't going away. Cause once we're <laughs> one man, we are just going to bust things wide open. We are not putting a restriction on it. Once we breach the world war one. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, I told Danny that when I posted my Lee Navy, there was some uh, some very much uh, happy people. And I can I imagine. I believe, I believe you said something, May, about like, you're going to let me shoot that, right? Uh, knowing me, I probably did. I d- God only knows when I posted that comment. <laughs> I just remember Othias was, Othias said something and then you commented about it. And then Othias messaged me directly and was like, hey, you wouldn't really like, wouldn't mind us borrowing that, right? <laughs> I mean, come on. Come on. Don't you want to? Come on. I will definitely let you borrow it. It's the only <laughs> thing in my collection that's probably like... <laughs> Thanks, Danny, for coughing over me. Oh, sorry. You've got the Rona. Oh, I muted it. Oh, yeah. All right. No, I I, 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 uh, I really would like to get the Lee Navy shooting, uh, but I talked to Danny about this, I think, earlier today. It's going to be it's gonna be about $300 just for the brass, and then... Um, uh, however much it's going to be to get the dyes made. Yeah, damn, I can only imagine what that's going to get up to. Yeah, and what's nice, though, is that so the, uh, a lot of people that don't know, I'll just go off with a quick tangent here, is, is we just talked about this today, Danny and I did. So um, there's there were two high-profile failures of the Lee Navy within the last 20 years or so, and um, one resulted in a guy's death and another one lived, uh, but both resulted in the guns being completely destroyed. And the guy that lived, I have actually spoken to on Reddit. He's on he's on Reddit. And when I posted my Lee Navy, he, he started contacting me. And his investigation into the guy that passed away's uh, a failure in his was that they were using 3040 brass uh, converted to six millimeter. And to do that, you had to cut an extractor groove in the brass itself. And the case just failed, essentially. Oh. Yeah. And so he was like, don't use 3040 brass if you're going to shoot this. And I'm like, well, no, my plan is, and here's a, here's a promo for you guys at RCC, uh, to use RCC brass, which they CNC mill out each piece from a block of brass. And so they don't draw the brass. They use a stronger alloy because they don't have to draw it. And, uh, it's extremely expensive. <laughs> It's like five dollars a pop, right? It's yes. five dollars. Five dollars an individual shell, an individual case, 
and um, it, it's a minimum order of 50. But they're the only game in town as far as like this is brand new, correctly made, CNC to the right specifications of six millimeter Lee Navy, you know. Yeah. I guess when you're the only game in town, you, you can charge what you want, but it does actually yeah. sound like it's probably pretty expensive, like to manufacture. Yeah, I mean I don't know the process of how they how they do it, but I'm sure it's not a cheap thing. And and I've told Danny about making eight millimeter uh eight by fifty two R brass out of forty five seventy for my Siamese Mausers and I hate it. I hate it. Sacrifice, right? Yeah, I'm just like I'm not gonna do it. Not gonna do it. I'll buy it. Yeah, because I remember at the range, you know, I'm one of like five people in the continental United States that has actually fired a Siamese Mauser. Um, But I remember every now and then, like one of the brass pieces would uh, would would hang up because of the rim. Yeah, I'm just like screw it. I'm not gonna do it anymore. Rimmed cartridges. Gotta love them. Yeah, that's that's another one of those weird ones, Danny, that doesn't have any views because nobody cares about it. Because it's like the only video of, of Siamese Mauser shooting on the internet is on your channel. <laughs> and nobody's seen it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's gotten like a dozen or so views. Still, that's insane to me. It's weird. I've got my own feelings on how YouTube's algorithm works and the videos that are popular versus the videos that aren't. But I mean, I, I guess in that case, it's like, who's looking up Siamese Mausers? That's true. Yeah. Honestly, it does seem to be like people will want to watch a video on something they already know, especially if it's something they already own. And they're like, oh, I know what that is. Oh, I own that. I really want to yep. see this now. Yep. And videos on the more common guns get, get more views. Like you could make a video... On a you know a Yugo M48, and you get way more views than if you did a video on like a early you know Mauser you know auto loading rifle. The only thing that seems to trip it up, and I've noticed this, is if it's it's got a weird or a wow factor to it. Like it's crazy to me that our our highest number viewed video it has t- over 21 million views, and don't tell me how that happened because I don't know. Uh, we literally titled "Guess What We Found," and it's just me loading the air service rifle. When we filmed that, we thought, "Oh yeah, this will be a little funny thing we'll put out. It'll get maybe a few thousand views." No, twenty-one million. That makes no sense to me. It's, it's like a forty-five-second video. Uh, yeah, it's forty-three seconds, or like the Alos video, which he filmed it real quick on our buddy's porch. Two point two million views. I mean, that makes no sense to me. But it's it's got it's got the wow factor, the weird factor about it. That just it sings with the with the viewership. I've seen yeah. clips of you firing the Tigavair though in different places before as well though. Different places. Yeah, Where like it, uh, no, 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 no. Like people have taken clips of that video and posted oh, yeah. it somewhere. Oh yeah. Yeah, and that like that where I was like not expecting to see it, and I'm like, oh, there's May, and there's the Tigavair. Like every six months now or so, I'll see it just suddenly pop up an Instagram or something like that. And I'll be like, Oh yeah, there, there it is. Hello me. That was, that was us. We're not Instagram. It pops up on Imgur like all the time. Yeah. But it's like, it's like that wow factor you're talking about. Cause it's such a humongous, ridiculous looking thing. Look like a pixie next to it. Like it just, the, the size proportion difference, just it's crazy looking. Even when I look at it, I still remember carrying that thing and thinking, yeah, this is a massive feeling gun. But it wasn't until I actually saw it on camera that I went, man, I look super tiny. Like, what is going on? This is bizarre looking to me. 
But yeah, the yeah, that's that's one of my favorite episodes. The the Tigavir. That's well, just an, that's an incredible well. gun. It's an interesting uh, it, that you know. It, of course, it makes sense how it comes how you come up with it because it's it's very straightforward in its setup. It's just the large car, like it's it's fine. And it does, it did the job for the short period, like a very, very short period. It did the job <laughs> and then it didn't. Yep. Yep. Like, like most, uh, any tank rifles mm-hmm. they work until they don't. I don't well, know. I have, a, I have a question I, here. Uh, I'm so sorry. Go ahead. Oh, you go ahead. No, I was just going to make a stupid joke that I've always wanted a boy's anti-tank rifle. I think we all <laughs> could use one. I, I'm, I'm for this plan. I was like, I just really want one for some reason. I have no, like, interest in anti-tank rifles i have no interest in anything but i've always wanted a boy's anti-tank rifle got one yet no um and if i got one i would keep it 55 obviously um i i don't i don't really i'm not really one for the people that convert them to 50 i i see why but i also been like eh, no that's fair. You got to keep it original. I agree. If it makes you feel any better, I I want a Tigaver. Granted I have shot it, so I I guess there is that, but it did kind of make a special place in my heart. It's dumb and it's funny and I want one. I think that might be why I, I want one too. Is and I want to get I can't remember if I think it's the Mark 2 that has the huge um uh muzzle suppressor at the end of it. It's like a big box. Uh, for the boys and it's just it's just ridiculous looking it's fantastic anyway danny go on but speaking of the tiga bear i have a question here with the tiga bear in it so i'll just go ahead and skip to this question uh so it's a two-parter uh i heard you say on the show that you are a uh, quote-unquote recoil queen um what do you like about recoil and then uh and other than the tiga bear what was the harshest recoiling rifle on the show that you remember Hmm. Okay. Yeah. This one, I remember it. Uh, yeah. So the, about the recoil, it's kind of like, I'm going to use one of those, those analogies again. It's kind of like, uh, watching fireworks, you know, there's not really much to them. You're just lighting it and it, you know, goes up in the sky and it does a big explosion or whatever, but I don't know, there, there's something that's just exciting about it. That that's really just, it, it's a loud explosion. Like there's pretty colors. Like it's, it's just fun to do. Right. A lot of people like fireworks. I kind of equate that to, to heavy recoil. It's fun. There's a loud bang and it just, I don't know. It, it's, it's always just been entertaining to me whenever it's just something that is what should be, what should appear larger than what it is. Yet it's still always something that's tiny. That's making such a large sound that goes with it the recoil is impressive the concussive force that comes with it on oh, the whole process of it is just exciting so shooting the tiga bear that kind of is what that felt like to me was kind of like shooting fireworks it was just fun and entertaining and it made a loud boom and i liked it yeah so other than the tiga bear what was the harshest recoiling rifle on the show that you can remember like what what gun when you shot it you were really like okay easy the wall gun have y'all seen me shoot the wall gun on here Oh God, it was horrible. Oh, yeah, a while back. So, like my favorite. Okay, so that was a. Uh, we were invited to essentially uh, assist and also just be there at the um, the Citadel was having uh, the range day that they do for uh, this history class that they um, teach there. The teacher always takes the Citadel cadets out, and they all get to shoot the guns um, that they've learned about essentially from their from their lessons. 
Um, so they had everything ranging from black powder to machine guns to the wall gun. And it's a great experience for them. The cadets seem to have a ton of fun. They go through it in groups, you know, for the era that, you know, the guns are associated with. And it's well structured and it looks nice. The wall gun, you know, it, it should be set up, you know, like on a pole or something or or even just like you could have somebody even potentially like holding the, you know, right where the pole is supposed to set underneath it. That could even potentially work. No, they, they basically set it up on a sawhorse, you know, just a plastic one put that on the ground it doesn't really work out so well <laughs> in terms of recoil mitigation uh it knocked several cadets on their butts that day it was too funny but um basically yeah that one actually it technically had worse recoil than the tigavere just because the setup for it was so bad it, there was nothing to help balance it out. So it just rocked me back like real good. We did a good slow motion uh, on that video of it, just showing my shoulder. Just, just I amazed I didn't dislocate it or anything like that. Not that it felt like it. It's just watching the video. I'm looking at it being like, oh, that's got to hurt. And then I'm like, oh, shit, that was me. <laughs> that was me shooting that. Wow. I need to go back and watch that again. It was definitely an experience. Thoroughly enjoyed it. I do not recommend shooting those on plastic sawhorses. Yep. Duly noted. Mm -hmm. The cadets had a ton of fun with it, though. It was a good day for them. A good lesson, too, on how to uh, position yourself on your knees to appropriately handle the recoil of that. Which I'd never, I'd never actually um, had shot anything with significant recoil on my knees before, so that was a different experience. Yeah, I hear, I don't do a lot of prone shooting, uh, mostly just standing, but I hear, yeah, whenever the, the recoil uh, on, a, on a gun is a lot different, like, you know, prone versus standing versus, yeah, I guess, on your knees on a sawhorse. Oh, yeah, that's why we did the Tika Bear the way we did, because laying prone with it, I could, I could understand how if you get it in just the right spot, there is the potential for that to be a collarbone breaker. I could honestly see that, but I mean, we did that standing with it dug into sandbags and dang, if that doesn't make a huge difference in the recoil mitigation. Yeah. It'd be pretty metal though. If you, if you broke a bone from shooting a tea of air, that'd be, yeah, be well, a cool story. The, <laughs> would be the last time that it happened too. It's like, Oh, cool. I'm the one in this decade. Nice. I get that little badge. <laughs> yeah. The, yeah. The, the, the first one in this century. Oh Yeah. I do see that, though, when it does pop up, is that people are like, oh, that breaks bones. Yeah. yeah you know, what? The, I, I get a lot of trash talk on one of my uh, one of my videos where I shoot a um, I shoot a 40 millimeter grenade launcher and I was shooting actual um, like real weighted projectiles that are the same weight as the like the HE stuff that they shoot. Um, so it's like a. It's like a pound. It's like a, the, the projectile is like a pound, something like that. And the grenade launcher itself is like three pounds, something like that. So, you know, you just have the mixture of a, of a super light gun with a, you know, really, really, you know, big projectile that you're shooting. And uh, I get so much people trash talking me in that and in the comments of that video, because uh, that, that recoil was pretty brutal. That's the that's the harshest thing I ever shot. It's the only thing I shot, and I shot it once, and I was like, I don't want to do this again. Well, damn, if it rocks you that good, I could understand. You at least had the experience of it. That's the thing is that it, you tried it, and hey, you got to say you shoot it, you shot it. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, and then true. I almost guarantee you, Danny, that the people are like, oh, you can't handle it. Like, I've never shot one either. 
Oh God, no, nothing close to it. Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. Like who's, who shot a 40 millimeter, but like, especially in such a light, light package like that. Um, one of the most surprising things was how like flat the, like the uh, trajectory is on a 40 millimeter. Cause I was aiming, like if you, if you see it, I was on a lake, uh, the, the friend who owns it, he like lives on a lake. So we're just shooting kind of at this Island out in the lake. And I was aiming like up, I was uh, sad to admit, but like my only experience with a 40 millimeter prior to this is like call of duty. So I'm kind of like, you know, aiming <laughs> high cause I'm expecting it to kind of lob, you know, so yeah. I aimed high at the Island and I shoot and it just disappears cause it didn't hit anything cause it shoots so flat. Oh, wow. And I think, then I think the, like the second or third time that I, that I shot it on camera, I kind of, you know, shot closer to us and, um, one of the times the chalk round kind of disintegrated in there. So it made a little like orange plume, um, like 50 yards out, which is pretty neat. Um, that was a lot of fun. And then after I shot it, I, uh, I was, I was like wanting to buy some to kind of pay them back, you know, like as a, as a thank you for letting me shoot it. And I saw how expensive they were. I was like, man, I would not have shot as many of those as I did. I knew it was that expensive. Oh God, that's fair. It's like when we were shooting the the Tigaver, it was, uh, he had rounds that were reloaded from the seventies essentially is what we were shooting. And they were, um, he's, he had original set aside that he was, uh, that he was keeping, but, uh, yeah, I still, he felt even bad just shooting those. Yeah. Reloads from the seventies. That's getting like quasi historical. I know. I think Ian um, over on Forgotten Weapons actually did shoot original loads um, when yeah. he shot his Tigaver. Yeah, I think he did. I think he shot, yeah, he set up armor that was equivalent of like a yeah, British tank. appropriate angle and everything. And that poor man, he and the owner shot it from a, a, a camera tripod. Oh. And it's it looks so unstable. And they both dropped it. And I was like, there's no way they would have been able to keep that up. Oh man. Amazing. Their shoulders See, must have kicked that day. Yeah. See, that's when you need a sawhorse. Yeah, right. The sawhorse might have been better. But what is the <laughs> what is this the Swedish anti tank gun with the skis? Oh, uh I can see it. Oh gosh. Yeah, I forgot I forgot what it is too. Is it the Gustav or am I thinking of something else? But that it's it it's nicknamed the Gustav. I think. Is that the cannon? Okay, I don't oh, know how gosh. to pronounce it. It's the L thirty nine. It's it's the twenty millimeter anti tank gun. It's got the big ass skis oh, underneath yeah, it. The yeah, the Lottie. <laughs> yeah. Oh I've, yeah. I've seen two of those up close. I actually went to Knob Creek uh, a couple of years ago for the machine gun shooting range. And we they had it Yeah, they have they had two of them for sale and it was like this thing is awesome. Jeez, how much were they? Uh, a lot less than you'd expect. I think the the one that was the cheaper one was like six thousand. Oh, only six. I mean, it's a twenty millimeter anti tank gun, Danny. And that's actually not yeah. It's it's you yeah. don't understand just how freaking enormous it is. Oh my god, that thing weighs over a hundred pounds. Are you kidding me? Yeah. I'm looking up the specs on uh, it. It says it weighs over a hundred pounds. That's yeah, a hundred and nine pounds. Oh my god. Well, they, they, Pull that thing on a sled with dogs or something? Is that what? I mean, dang, you're doing some heavy lifting that day. The 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 one that I saw that was that was the good package that had like it had the it had the rifle, it had um 
like 20 or 30 rounds of ammunition and it had like a, a couple of like leather covers that it had for it or something like that. And it was like six or seven thousand dollars. And I was like, that's not as much as I was expecting this to be. Yeah. 20 millimeter, man. That's like I think that's legally artillery. I know it's a DD. <laughs> oh, it's nicknamed the elephant gun. That's right. It was definitely it, was definitely, it definitely rekindled my my interest in getting a boy's rifle when I saw it because I was like, I've uh, this is amazing. This guy set it up right here. Oh, it looks awesome. I I would love to try that. I we need to make our way up to Knob Creek sometime. Well, and then also oh. uh, I see I see the first video that it pops up is Ian's and he has shot one, of course. He shot God knows <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He shot everything. Uh, yeah, you guys would I could see CN Arsenal making some pretty epic videos up at Knob Creek. Um funny story. So we have Indirect, well, not indirectly. We have uh, now encountered the owner um, by buying something of his. We didn't even know. So, Athias was um, has been looking for hand traps um, off and on as part of the collection for the shotgun theories, and uh, he found a one on uh, Facebook Marketplace that he'd seen a patent for, and he was excited, you know, to purchase it. And so he's messaging back and forth with the woman who is doing the sale with him. And she's like, you know, you'd really like my dad. He's super into this gun stuff and blah, blah, blah. And he was like, oh, really? Okay, that'd be really cool. She was like, yeah, you might have met him. He he does this this big shoot. And he was like, oh. And he's like, yeah, he, he runs Knob Creek. He's the owner of Knob Creek. And we're like, oh, that's good to know. Oh. He's the one that, and it turns out he was the one that owned the, the hand trap that he was buying too. So he sent a letter with us when we got it in the mail. That was like, "Hey, come up to Knob Creek, you know, when you guys are when we're throwing it next." So that was kind of cool. Small world. Yeah, that is. Yeah. When the I, world opens back up. You guys have to. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I went on a I Sunday went, and it was amazing. Saturday I, and Sunday. Yeah, I mean, it's a. It's actually um, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and the Sunday is obviously the last day, and typically on those kind of days, kind of kind of winds down. But it was still amazing. Like they still did most of the shoots, and of course, the part that I liked the most was um, this guy had like an actual cannon. I don't know how big it was, but like he was shooting cannonballs. Fun. Oh, that's. It, it wasn't just like oh he was shooting off a blank. No, he was shooting freaking cannonballs, and you could see like this when it hit the mound. It was just like poof. <laughs> okay, that's pretty cool. I like that. Oh, I'm going to have to go try that or at least be there for that because that sounds awesome. Yeah, and it's kind of it's kind of neat. So they have it the way it's set up is like the range is um, it's it's a basically a, a big hillside near the river. And so the range is you're shooting into the hillside. So it's just this big mound of of earth that's essentially like a almost like a small uh, like a basically a, like a medium sized hill, and they actually have stands set up like bleachers for like a high school football game set up so you can watch the shoots. That's actually pretty cool. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, and then of course the we didn't get to see it because I think they do it Saturday night, but um, they do uh, one of the nights there they do uh, all tracer rounds. Oh, so, that's fun. So you nice. you can go and watch them shoot all the machine guns with tracer rounds. Oh, I just remembered. Yeah, the the CNN footage or whatever from from 
that was supposedly from like Syria or something, but it was actually Knob oh, Creek yeah. during the night the night shoot. Remember that? <laughs> that was so good. Oh, oh that was so good. It was so funny. Yeah. Yeah, Knob Creek got some got some attention. Some free publicity there. Yeah, I have to say, is I was impressed with how it was it was set up too. It was very like professional. I was kind of expecting it to be a little bit crazy, but it was like very organized. How many years have they been doing it? Do y'all know? No, I'm I'm actually not that far away from it, to be honest. I think I'm like two or three hours away and I've only been once. What are you doing? What? What? Yeah, right? That's where I'm at. What? Man, I'd be there. Well, probably not every year, but I'd be there pretty frequently. Well, now we will have to next time since we have... The, the invite from the owner. Uh, they've been operating for 40 years, it says. Dang. Oh, wow. And they have a full, like, gun store, too. Like, a huge gun store. It's two levels, um, and it has, like, a, a restaurant and everything. And it's all right there next to the range. Um, and I was actually looking at buying some guns when I was there because I was trying to sell one of mine. And, I mean, they had some good stuff. A lot of good stuff. Oh, wow. Yeah, they even have an online store and everything, too. That's pretty cool. Yeah, if you need your whiskey or cocktails, they've got you set, looks like, too. Oh, wow. See, that's that's what I'm about, is a, a gun store that serves alcohol, which I'm always surprised when, like, gun shows serve alcohol. I'm hoping this is the same Knob Creek, and I'm not just I'm not just spitting out there, but... Well, it's in West Point, Kentucky. Should be Knob Creek Gun Range is what the... Or Knob, Knob Creek Range is the website. Oh, okay. Nope, different one. I lied. I'm a liar. I Dang. Myself out. I was looking forward to I know, the. Right? I was looking forward That'd to the whiskey good. bar at Knob Creek. Well, the this thing is, the way, right? when you said that, I was like, "But this is <laughs> Kentucky, so there's a lot of random." Well, no, there's a lot of random counties in Kentucky that are dry. It's true. It's super bizarre. Although I did love one, we drove through Kentucky a while back, and I loved it because we were literally exiting one that was completely dry, and on the other side of the line was a Rite Aid. And it had Rite Aid and above the title Rite Aid in bigger, bolder letters, liquor. Yeah. <laughs> Illinois Illinois does not allow fireworks for 4th of July, like personal fireworks. What? On, on the border, everywhere you go on the border of Illinois, around 4th of July, there are thousands of fireworks stands right across the yep. border. What is wrong with Illinois? I mean, there's lots of stuff. Can we? We don't have time to get into that. Okay, that's fair. This would be a much longer podcast yeah. in my case. Well, speaking of uh, shooting, uh, one of the questions that I have here for you is, um, on average, how long does it take to shoot one shooting segment per episode? So how long does it take to film a shooting segment? So the shooting segments, if, if we're just cutting out all of the overhead that goes into the shooting segment itself, just me taking the gun at the range, like I'm already there at the range. Everything's already pre-set up at the actual shoot time. We may only go through like one or two clips or in blocks or whatever. So that goes pretty quickly as anyone might know, but to actually get there to the range and actually get the shooting segment done, that's an entire day for the shooting segment itself, because we have to prep all of our gear. So if anyone's seen our how we made it episode um we actually show we use like four different camera setups and we've got all of our audio equipment there too to be able to catch 
all the highs and the lows of um, the entire break of the gun going off itself so that there's no there's no peak once we mesh it all together. So you get all of the sound of the shot. Um, but yeah, to get everything out there and set and prepped, it is pretty much an entire day because we have to make sure all the batteries are charged. Everything's good to go. All the cards are ready. And then on top of that, we have to fix any issues that happen on range. Cause these aren't brand new. These are guns that we got in and they have been tested, but invariably when you take it to the range, something's yep. going to go wrong. It turns out it's duffel cut. Well, shoot. Okay. Now that's got to get fixed. That gets pulled off the range or, you know, this one's got a loose barrel lug. Like this one's got this issue. Like it's, it's been a number of things that have happened on range that we've had to stop, try to fix the gun on range when we can't, we then have to take it, get it fixed off range and then bring it back to refilm on an entirely different range day. But we try to take, so since it's such an entire process to kind of get out there and get it done, we aren't just taking one gun. I think the most we ever brought was eight rifles. And that was a pretty long day. Because that's that, yeah. That was back when we were dumb and we forgot to bring water sometimes and or food because, you know, oh. we were brighter kids back then. That was yeah. not learn our lesson fast enough on that one. Yeah. That's that's eight's a lot. It's a lot for like a shooting day, like only mm-hmm. because like I've, I've done, you know, similar things going to going out to the range or whatever. And yep. yeah, the eight is a lot to try. That's well, we try to, more than you can shoot. Kind of. We only go out once a month. That's the thing. So we uh, we basically have the range reserved for one day a month to go out and get this taken care of. So rain or shine, you know, hopefully it, we're looking for a cloudy day. So cloudy days are honestly the best ones when it looks like it's going to rain. Oh, the lighting on that. Gorgeous. No hard shadows. Everything's evenly lit. Don't really have to worry about what time of the day we shoot. Absolutely pristine footage comes out from those days. But then those are the days that it's a high chance of rain because it's Charleston. And when there's cloud cover, we usually have rain. Some of the footage yeah, we yeah. just do in the rain, which actually can feel nice, especially when it's summertime. Yeah, yeah that's rough. When I when I lived in Washington, I was trying to, um, you know, because it rains nonstop for like nine months there. Mm-hmm. And we li- we moved we like moved there when it was just the worst time of the year. And I uh, I was waiting for like a, a day of no rain. Like I was watching the weather for like week after week after week to try to right. see if I could find a time to shoot when it doesn't rain because it's like a modern gun, you know, I don't care about taking like an AR out and getting it wet or whatever. It's not a big deal, but I don't want to get like a lot of my old, you know, old guns wet. I don't want to warp the stocks or get any, you know, rust or anything anywhere. So, uh, so I waited so long and it was just, it wasn't a good day for like months. So I just went and I bought like a canopy tent and just set that up. And that's I filmed like only one video with that thing. I, when I, when I shot the 35 M <laughs> I was going to say it's the 35 M <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, and I didn't even think about the l- super loud rain sound of the rain pouring down on top of the canopy tent, too. Oh, no. You can barely hear Danny because it's just like... Yeah. yeah. That sucks. Yeah, it was terrible. So I didn't shoot very many guns when I lived in when I lived in Washington, even though I... Um, that was a, it was a beautiful range, like up at the top of this mountain. Um, I think... Didn't you do the... Uh, you did the, the Chinese conversion oh yeah the chinese arasaka yeah and 762 by 39 yeah that video i filmed there um 
that was like during the three months that it's like actually nice in Washington. Um, there's like three months of like sunshine. It's pretty nice. That would that would make our show practically impossible. We'd have to be filming in the rain all the time. There's no yeah. way. I can't imagine doing that schedule. Yeah, yeah, that was that was rough. It was that was a hard place to to film. Um, Utah was easier. The weather in Utah was was a little bit more more timid. It didn't rain a whole lot. You know, it dumped snow every now and then. And I don't think I filmed too many shooting videos in the snow. Um, but that was the BLM lands out out west. Um, you know, like being from Florida, like it's so, you know, it's so woody and, you know, it's hard to find a range, you know, that even goes past like a hundred yards. Mm-hmm. You know, if you have like a two or 300 yard range, that's, that's a miracle, you know, in the, in the, in the dense, densely forested South. So going out, you know, going out West and just the huge open expanses. And then there's, you know, the BLM lands, which is the, uh, the Bureau of Land Management. They just, you know, there's just land. There's just hundreds and hundreds of just open acres. You can just shoot on any of it if you want. And uh, so I just would go out there and pick a place and like, all right, do I want to shoot 500 yards today or or what? And filmed quite a few videos out there that were just, you know, never looks as good in the video as it does, you know, in real life. But there's a couple of them where there's like these majestic mountains in the background and stuff that I was, that was special. That was a special place. Yeah, we we have a hundred yard range that we shoot at now, and you're you're not wrong about just woodland just being surrounding us here in Charleston. I mean, we have a friend of ours that luckily he's looking to in the future, and unfortunately he's not sure what when next year he's going to get started on it. But he plans on setting himself up with a seven hundred yard range, but it's all his land, of course, already. So. We might have access to that in the future, but right now we're stuck at basically everyone around us having hundred yard ranges. Yep, yep. That's that's the way it is in the south. Yeah, yeah. The moment you uh, exit the forest, you just hit swamp over here. <laughs> yep, yeah. Most of yeah, most of our county was uh, was swamp. Because I, I call the part of Florida that I'm from the armpit of Florida. Because like if you if you look at like the panhandle that sticks out as like an arm, you know, and like yeah, the, yeah, the rest of it, or so. Oh, yep. <laughs> if you have the unfortunate, um, unfortunately, if you go to the beach there, it smells uh, it smells terrible. Um, it's the beach, the beach in my hometown. Yeah, like uh, Keaton Beach was the the beach in my hometown. Um, and that's just it was just it smelled so bad. There's like signs like don't go in the water because of bacteria. And that oh, smells really bad. And so that's the thing. So when I when I moved to Utah and I went to salt the Salt Lake, that lake stinks like really, really bad because of the the brine and the um, like because there's only like five things that can live in it and then they die and nothing can eat them. So like the that smelled Salt Lake smelled like the beach in Florida. Oh, that's so sad. I uh-huh. I've been spoiled here because we've got Sullivan's, which is a really nice setup for a beach over here. And then if you're not feeling fancy with your beach time, you just go over to Folly Beach where all the college kids are. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard there's some really nice beaches over there. I think, uh, what is it? Myrtle's the one everyone talks about. Oh, no, not a nice beach. Don't go there. Uh-uh. No. Myrtle is, no. Myrtle is the, uh, is, is the is tourist that the PCB, beach. Daily. Is that the PCB of South Carolina? That's what we think of as the armpit beach over yeah, that's the that's the one that you don't go to, Danny. Everything that was nice about Myrtle is no longer there. It's gone. It's gone to shit, man. Don't do it. Yeah, I went to Myrtle Beach when I was like five. 
And that was when it was like really popular to go there. It wasn't bad. It was nice. You could rent a house um, over in, uh, what is it, Hilton Head? Is that what's close to Myrtle, I want to say? I, the last I time I was there, I was five years old. <laughs> I'm asking you, like, I'm sorry. I'm asking you, like, you're, no, I'm trying to remember. Like, yeah, you'd rent a house and then you'd go over to Myrtle and you'd have a good time. But nope, don't do that anymore. It's not, not a good place, not a fun place to be anymore. Not a good crowd. Dang. Sounds like I got PCBified. Yeah, just go over. Just come on down to Charleston. We'll we'll go over. We'll hang out at Sullivan's or something. Get a burger down there. There's a decent burger place on the near the shore. Yeah, that sounds good. It's been a it's been a while since I've seen the ocean. Although I've been spoiled, I uh, I have been to Hawaii once, and once you go and see that clear blue water and come back to what we have here, and it's hard to get back in the ocean when you can't see what's in front of you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We, uh, I took a heard cruise of- with my wife for our, um, for our honeymoon and, uh, yeah, we went to, uh, in the Caribbean and it was, uh, we did uh, snorkeling at, at a reef in uh, the Bahamas and like, it was so crazy that my wife has this massive fear of open water, but she was like, let's go snorkeling. And I'm like, are you crazy? <laughs> and, and I was like, okay. So we went and we went on the honeymoon in December and it's like the water is like 70 degrees and the air is like 85. So it was like you jump in the water. It was like instant shock. And, um, but you, but the problem thing was, is like, she was okay with it because it's like, you can see like a hundred feet under the water. Oh God. It was crazy. Cause you could just like, it was, um, it was so weird because we're, we're from, you know, Southern Illinois. She's from North uh, central Illinois. But, like, all the lakes or whatever that we've ever swam in is, like, the visibility is, like, two inches. Yeah. Yeah. We might even have just that. Two inches, pretty much. So, there's, yeah, there's a part of Florida called the Emerald Coast. It goes from about, like, uh, East Point, um, like, St. George Island over to kind of Pensacola. And that's that's the way it is there. It's, it's the water's, like, crystal clear a lot of, a lot of times and, and, and emerald color. And it's a nice blue-green and uh, clear. Um, see, that sounds pleasant. All I want is to be able to see a shark coming at me. I mean, I'm probably going to die anyway, or it's probably going to take a little nibble out of me. I just want to see it happening. That's all I want. Give me a little peace of mind at it, or peace of mind at it, I suppose. Wow, we've really, we've really gone off of. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, <laughs> I believe, Danny, that I got yelled at the last time I tried to correct you and get us on top. Oh yeah. Yep. Yep. You're the you're the whip cracker. Yeah. Danny posts these to the YouTube channel and the the one video that I tried to keep us on topic the whole time, yeah. everybody was like, why does Aaron think he's controlling the show? He just like seems to like, we well, just control everything. It's just like, <laughs> friggin' A, oh, fine. <laughs> fine. Talk about what you want to talk about. So a lot of the uh, a lot of the questions that I have left are kind of similar because I asked I asked uh, a couple people like if they had any you know anything they could think of. Um, so let's see. Uh, Whatever you like. Okay. Um, let's see. What's a what is your favorite caliber to shoot, both in uh, rifle and handgun? Oh, that one's an interesting question. I saw that and I was like, well, it kind of depends um, on the actual gun it's coming out of. So realistically however the gun is set up it's going to handle the caliber 
differently. It's interesting. So I, I enjoy shooting my Moss 4956. I enjoy shooting it a lot. So like, I don't take it out as often as I should, but, um, it is one of my most favorite guns to shoot. It just, it hit a good chord with me when I was, um, first getting into actually collecting. So I can't even say that I'm a really big fan of the cartridge itself or the French, but it just, it, the sound that it makes when it's coming out of it, the recoil with it, how it's so balanced well in the rifle, it just fits the rifle well, it always felt like. The recoil was always very manageable. It always, it kind of felt almost like a shotgun in that it came back with almost like um, a linear force to it with the recoil itself. So for me, the caliber isn't really something I pay so much attention to as, as how it performs with the rifle. Does that make sense? Danny's muted himself somehow. Yep. Yeah, I yeah I think I know what you mean. Um, I I know what my what my favorite caliber is um, instinctively, which is six point five caliber. Oh no, seven millimeter Mauser, man. I mean, I do love six five. Six five sweet is sweet, um, but I think I think seven millimeter Mauser is probably my 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 fave. Uh, how many gun? How many of your own guns actually do take that caliber? Um, like a handful, mostly like South American Mausers. Um, I want to get my hand on a, uh, on a Venezuelan FN 49 because, you know, that oh, shoots seven millimeters. Yeah. So I could see that like a semi-automatic seven millimeter being a really good shooter, especially with the, it's got a break on it. I've never shot an FN 49, but I would like to shoot one of those. They do look like fun. I actually did pass one up at a gun show a few years back. I remember it wasn't too I don't even know what they go for now. I'm I'm literally going to throw up the price. I I think I remember seeing it for. I think I remember seeing it for six fifty on a table. I, at the time, I just didn't have the cash or anything, and I just thought it it looked really interesting. I'd never shot one before. I was like, I passed it up. I don't even know what they go for now. What are they even running these days? Mm, I, I don't even know. I don't even really look at them because I don't. Uh, Danny will tell you, but I'm I'm more of the hipster. That's more. I I don't. I got rid of all my semi autos. And I just don't really, I don't really care for them. <laughs> I'm so are weird. You, are you a bolt action kind of man? Or yeah, I like, I like having something to manipulate. So I, I have, um, I have a pump action 22 and all the rest of my guns are bolt actions. Um, and I have been like looking at getting a, actually kind of, uh, ironically, a, a seven millimeter rolling block because I, I really like the way the rolling blocks look. And how they operate. And you guys have done one for the show, right? Yeah, yeah, we shot one before. Those are fun to shoot. It's it's like it's a slow process with it, but it's like I was describing the black powder. It's it's pleasant. Was the was yours the French one? Was that eight millimeter? I'm trying to remember. Uh, I don't remember. Uh, now you've got me going because I've at this point. Yes, it was the French. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, yeah, it was the French one. The eight millimeter Lebel one. Yeah, the, yeah. Once again, like. Um, my first rifle was a 1895 Chilean Mauser, which is seven millimeter. And, um, it's obviously the most gun I've, the, the gun I've shot the most. And, um, I, I have a huge fan of M95s. Um, and I don't know if you're aware of that, Mae, but I have like 10 of them. Um, and you need more. <laughs> yeah. I always, I always love them. I have so many of the rare variants. I have one that is only 5,000 ever made. So, uh, yeah, so, yeah, uh, actually, I'll just, uh, BRNO, 
uh, out of Czechoslovakia made 5,000 M95s um, when they were still when they were still trying to figure out if they were going to make their own rifles. And uh, I have one of those. Hey, that's a pretty good find. Okay. Yeah. Maybe you might yeah. need to find more of those. Yeah. I, I have a couple more that I need to get um, that are the more rare variants, but um, I, I do shoot the eight by 56 R quite often because it's the second most shot caliber I have. Um, but like, I prefer the seven millimeter if I was going to shoot a lot versus the 8x56R. And even I still even have a, a long rifle um, in 8x56R. And eh, it's not that bad in that caliber, in that in that size, because it's a much bigger rifle. But, like, I'd rather have a 7mm. You said you're collecting all the variants. Uh, do you know how many more you have to go? Yeah, uh, so I have to get... I, I actually don't have an original caliber M95, as sad as that is to say. Um, I don't have the, uh, I don't have an original caliber, either a long rifle or a uh, short rifle. Um, so I need an eight by 50 R. Uh, so that's one. Uh, I don't have an Italian capture or Italian war reparations rifle, which is c- called an AOI rifle, which is what they gave to their, um, African colonies. They would stamp, they burn into the stocks, a huge brand that says AOI. So that if they got stolen, they would know who stole it. Um, yeah, I've seen that before. Uh, so those are those are more uncommon because those stayed in Africa, and a lot of the a lot of those got captured by the British and then given to uh, the Middle Eastern groups that they were trying to help uh, rise up, or in India. So a lot of those stayed in a long around a long time, and they're beat to crap uh, for the most part. But those are original caliber still too. Those are eight by fifty R. So I need that. I need. Um, I need a Polish one. Um, a lot of the Polish ones actually ended up going to um, the Spanish Civil War, as weird as that is to say. <laughs> so Poland ended up with M95 rifles after the fall of the Austro-Hungarian Empire because they there was part of their land was part of the Austro-Hungarian Empire. So they mm-hmm. had rifles and then they sold those to Russia, who gave them to the... Uh, Spanish, uh, not Franco, whatever the other side was, and uh, they got captured by Franco. So Franco's side used captured M95s from Poland. That's hilarious. Yeah. So there's a couple more. Um, there's a couple of actual the big the the hardest one that's going to be to find is a German capture one uh, from mm-hmm. World War II because there's a lot of fakes. And I was just telling Danny I posted on Reddit uh, a really really terrible fake. That has seven Waffenamps and three different tr- double ru- SS runes uh, in different spots. It's just really, really bad. <laughs> no, the more Waffenamps, the more authentic it yes. is. Yes. It even has um, a production code uh, stamp for a plant that doesn't exist. Like, the code doesn't they, exist. They just went all out. Yeah, more, more Waffenamps equals more value. Yeah, that's I, I, that's what that means. I knew. I've seen the fakes before, and most of the time they actually bother to stamp the production code for for Steyr, and it's like, okay, that that's a good try. Um, Germany never made any, but good try. Um, and then this one was just like, no, we're not even going to bother. It's just going to be we're going to stamp a bunch of SS runes, we're going to stamp a bunch of Waffenamps. There's 
six in the stock or three in the stock, four on the side, two on top. It's just like uh, whatever. It's just, it's it's Nazi. <laughs> that's an example of something that's so bad it's good. Yeah. Actually, I do want to buy that. This a, a friend of mine has it, and I do want to buy it because just how audacious the fake is. It's like they win. Itself is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I bet you could take it to a gun show, and most of like the fuds there would believe it. It'd probably offer you something, something good for it. They probably would. Yeah, but there's so so the the German capture ones. Um, the problem is a lot of the countries that captured M95 didn't mark them in any way. So a lot of them ended up in different areas, but they didn't mark them. Um, I don't have an M95M, but I do have an M95-24, which is the early version of it. Um, so I do need to get an M95M. So that's Yugoslavia. Yeah. And those are fairly common. Like you, you find them, but... You know, not all the time with a clip and not all the time with an intact extractor. No, that's the problem. Yeah. So actually, I, I have two rifles in 8mm Mauser, and Danny likes to bring this up. I have two rifles in 8mm Mauser that are not Mausers. I mean, that's a collection you could start there in and of itself. Yeah, I have I have a, 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 a Vigero, uh, the, the 1939 conversion, and I have the... Uh, M95-24, which is 8mm. And um, the Vigero I love. It's actually really fun to shoot. Yeah, the Portuguese Vigero. Yeah, bad. you got you did the 6.5 one. Yeah, it's not a bad uh, shooter. Yeah, so I have the 8mm version, uh, which they actually shortened a little bit. And mm-hmm. um, it's it's a lot of fun. I like it a lot. It's Danny's scary. actually looking at a Portuguese Monlicker, I think, weren't you? Hmm. Yeah, yeah, the... the um... The Greek one just kind of slipped through my fingers. Yeah, um, no. yeah. There's yeah. A, there's he a, he just missed out on a Greek a Greek monlicker shown hour. Those are gorgeous too. I'm sorry. Yeah, I got outbid within the like the last ten minutes, and uh, it ended up selling for like five fifty. I hate that. I hate well, that. So- it and the worst part was is that it was a terrible listing. Like the gun was incorrectly yeah. labeled, and then the pictures were awful like 20 feet away in the shadow. So it was like, you're taking a gamble. Even if it's got any of parts missing, this guy doesn't have any clue because the description was, it's a gun, basically. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah the pictures are taken with a potato at dumb angles. Uh, well, somebody's got a mystery gun, I guess, that they'll possibly be getting in the mail. Well, I mean, you can see it. It is It is a um, a. Mon Le Kishonauer. It is a correct 1903. Yeah, okay. yeah, for sure. But it, it, but we did figure out that he did say it was Breda, and that's what he thought the um, the model name was was Breda. So it was oh, like, oh, it's yeah. a, it's an Italian one. It was the ones that the Italy made for the Greek in what was it the 20s, wasn't it, Danny? Yeah, 20s. I think yeah, late 20s. So that's why it was all screwed up. He 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 had it listed as a Breda M95. So that actually, that, so, that listing just kind of went under the radar for probably anyone looking for it directly. Correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is how you find the good deals. Oh, yeah. I have found misspellings of books that way that we needed that. Otherwise, we're <laughs> not in production anymore. But hey, is that that Dry Mosin book that I need, volume one misspelled? Yes, it is. Thank you very much. <laughs> yep. 
Uh, the there's so many different you. misspellings of Mosin. Or Mouser. A surprising yeah. amount of misspellings of Mauser. Like you would think everyone would know it, but... Yeah, you'd be amazed. Even Garand. I've seen some weird ones of that one. And it's like, that one, You, I feel like out of... Even before Mauser, I feel like even that one. But no, I've seen it with weird yeah. spellings on that one. Garland. Yep. M1 Garland. Or M1 Grand. Like, Grand. Oh, yeah, Grand. People will always <laughs> amaze us whatever else they come up with for different spellings. They really will. Oh, Danny, there was a question I wanted to ask. Do you mind? Oh, yo, go ahead. All right, mate. So, so it, you don't have to share if you don't want to, obviously, but like, do you have any like crazy fan stories? Oh, kind of. Uh, I do have a stalker. Okay. That's <laughs> a little bit crazy. Yeah. I don't, uh, we've had people on the show, like, send emails being like hey where do you guys live hey can we have your address hey is may married hey is she seeing anybody it's, it's getting he's getting a little personal real fast yeah and then we've got there's like one dude who like set up a gofundme to to try to get a car so that he'd come up here and see me i've never talked to the dude before and will never if i ever see him uh but yeah, some of the crazy ones have been that kind of. Uh, crazy. That's more crazy than I was expecting. Yeah, it's kind of why we don't really like give out exactly where we live to people, um, or even use our real names or anything. Because obviously, May Winchester, I'm not from the Winchester family. Anyone that thought I was, I mean, if I was in the Winchester family, I probably wouldn't be. Well, no, I might be doing this. Who knows? Um, I didn't even yeah, know that was the last name you used. Huh? I didn't even know that was the last name you used. I just assumed you just went by May. Uh, I just I threw Winchester on there because that was what I named my pig. Uh, I had a pig a while back, and I called him Winchester. So um, he passed away um, a few years ago. But uh, I forget some something I was signed in on or was setting up an account on required me to have a last name for it for the account, and I went well, shit, I got to pick something other than just May. I can't put, it wouldn't let me put May twice. So I was like, well, I guess I'll just throw Winchester in there. It was like the first thing I thought of because he was on my mind at that moment. But yeah, that's been some of the crazier ones. Now we've had some really, really nice fan experiences. I mean, we've gotten emails from people being like, hey man, I'm laid up. I ended up getting hurt on my job or I'm in a really bad place in my life or I wasn't in a really bad place in my life and your episodes were really long and they helped see me through. It's mostly like they were like, yeah, I was not able to get up and your episodes are like hours long and it really just kind of helped me to to kind of make it through the day. And we've had emails like that where it's like touch people's lives in that kind of way. Like we've had nice even husbands be like, yeah, my wife has started to come shooting with me since watching your show because I'm going to be honest, I am the perfectly, I'm like perfectly average for a woman. Like I don't, I don't go out of my way to wear skimpy outfits or anything like that. I just wear normal clothes to the range. So it's interesting. A lot of guys have been like, yeah, my wife came across me watching your show and she saw May shoot and she was like, oh, well, that girl, she looks normal. Yeah. Okay. Well, maybe I, if she can do it and she looks normal, maybe I can do that too. So weirdly, we've had a lot of husbands write in and be like, yeah, thank you for this, because my wife now actually comes to the reins and shoots with me, and she is enjoying it now, whereas before she thought it was something that she would never even try. That's fantastic. 
I got my wife to shoot one time and she outshot me. And then she's like, I'm good from now on. She's covered. Good. She's like, I know what I'm capable of now. And I was like, oh, okay. Oh, I do have a chicken named after me. Supposedly there's a chicken out there called me. That's great. I think if I remember from our episode with Othias, he was telling us that when he goes out to shows and if there's anybody with him that's like a woman, it's immediately assumed it's May. Oh, yeah, that's happened. So Susie's gone with him to a show here or there um, or to an event. And it's so funny because the guy will look at him or someone will look at him, recognize him and go, and then look to the woman and then be instantly confused (laughs) and sad. So she's like, I hate going to shows and stuff with him sometimes and not you there because people just look at me and look sad. (laughs) Or like you said, if you just be like, look at her confusedly and be like, that's probably her. Curly hair and glasses, that's gotta be it. <laughs> that's Those are that, would, that would feel terrible because it would just be like, oh, now I'm disappointing somebody because I'm not somebody else. Alright. I feel so bad. I want to point out though, we look nothing alike, so I don't even know how the people get us confused for each other. But yeah, I feel so sad for her. Although, every once in a while, uh, someone's just been very excited to see her and she's like, I just, I just, I put on a good impression of you. And they seem to have a good time. I'm like, oh, that's nice. Thank you for doing that. <laughs> that's really funny. Pretend they pretend that they're you. It's just they easier. Of, easier. You're like, oh, I love your show, blah, blah. And she's like, thanks. We try really hard. <laughs> that's great. That's cool. I get to I get to be in two places at once. I get to be doing whatever else I'm doing work-wise or relaxing. And then she gets to do the, the meet and greet for me. Yeah. Danny, have you ever been recognized? Huh? I was asking Danny if he's ever been recognized. Oh, yeah, have you? Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, yeah, it's happening more and more often. But um, before before I had to wear a mask at every show, um, I was starting to get recognized by, you know, by, by somebody at just about every show that I that I go to. Now, were you getting recognized in your own state at your shows or were you getting recognized more out of state? Uh, both. Um, I've been recognized. Yeah. In, in Missouri and then uh, in Kansas. Um, a couple of people recognized me at the Wanamaker show and at Tulsa, um, oh, wow. which is which is funny. They heard my voice and then they were like, "Oh, it's you." <laughs> um, That's usually what happens with Athias too. His voice is very booming and tends to uh, kind of loom over the crowd, so people tend to catch it. Yeah, um, I will it say was, uh, we did not get recognized in state for the longest time there. It's kind of nice. We were incognito at our own gun shows. Like the guys there already knew us, but it was actually kind of nice. We just got to wander on our own gun shows. Like there, you know, no one spotting us or saying hi or anything. It, they it just the normal dudes or whatever. But in this past two years, we're starting to get recognized in state, and they're weird out because they're the old they're the old cusses, you know, that just like know us from whatever us hanging around, and they'd be like why is this kid so excited to meet you? He's acting weird. We were like, well, we do that YouTube thing. And they would be like, what? That YouTube thing on the interwebs. About half of them, I think, probably know what YouTube is. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. I'm surprised that, um, I, you know, I'll, if I'm talking to people at shows that maybe are selling Millsurps or something like that, I'll say like, oh, yeah, you know, CN Arsenal did a really good episode on this gun. And they're like, who? I'm mm-hmm. like, in Arsenal on YouTube, YouTube, yeah. 
Yep, that's the appropriate response. A lot of people go who? Unless apparently we go to the collector show over in, um, oh shoot, where was that? Was it Lexington? No, Lexington. Uh, I'm trying to think. Where's the show? Shows at? That's Kentucky. Oh, oh in Kentucky. Yeah. We went to I that. I forgot the, the, the city. Yeah, I forget it too. I'm blanking. It's in um, Louisville, isn't it? Oh, yeah, there we go. Louisville, Kentucky. So we went there. And if you haven't gone, definitely is worth the trip. Um, but we went there and showed up. And it was actually at the collector show. We weren't expecting anything. Like we, we were there, honestly, just for the first time ever, looking to just kind of see what was there, not expecting it to be like two football fields full of stuff. So it took us a while to get through it all. But like we could not go. 10 feet without being stopped by somebody to take a picture to to chat about the show like it was incredible the amount of people that even just knew what we did or even recognized us off the bat normally Othias and i split up the show like he'll go down one side of the show i'll go down the other and then we at some point cross in the middle and let each other know what we've seen on the other side to try to you know if we've seen anything that needs to be urgently addressed you know we can attack it but um no, at this one, we had to go through it together because there was just no point. Like, it, it took us the entire day to just get through one, the, just the collector side of it. Yeah, I think Danny and I, we discussed about going one time, but we just couldn't work out our schedules for it. Oh, y'all gotta try it. It's definitely worth it. I don't know how it's going to be. I guess the spring will be when they have the first one, if they have it. But it's definitely worth it just for what they have there. And make sure you do both the collectors and the show shows. The show show does have more guns but the collector side of it does have a lot of unique things and those bins that you want to search through oh they've got those bins yeah danny is definitely more in the side of the military than i am that's fair but it's definitely worth the experience and just seeing what all is over there and also just meeting a lot of people i mean uh there's like auction houses there morphe's had a big old table set up over there and we we chatted with um uh John, I think it's his name, if I'm remembering correctly. I hope I'm not getting his name wrong. Sorry, John, if I am. Uh, who does essentially, like, who knows all the other collectors and stuff like that. And he introduced us to a bunch of people over there. So it's it's worth it, if anything, to see what's there and also just meet people that are in the right fields. Yeah. I was... Uh, cool. It kind of reminds me, I went... Um, so I'm in the automotive industry, and I went to um, a steel mill in Kentucky once because there was a problem with the steel and I was going there as part of like an investigation to figure out what was going on. And on, and I, we, we all drove our own cars out there because we were all going different places afterwards. And this is in the middle of nowhere, Kentucky. It's right on the river between Kentucky and like Virginia or way, way out on the East side of Kentucky and um, middle of nowhere, very hilly and it's, it's pretty nice countryside. But so I, I'm, I'm like, oh, look, there's a gun store. Uh, and on the way back home, I'll stop here and see what's going on. So I stop and, and look, and it's this really nice, like, two-story gun store, but there's nothing anything, like, Millsurp-wise. So I'm like, ah, oh, whatever. And I look down, and I was like, oh, they have 7mm uh, Mauser from PPU. I'll just buy a couple boxes of 7mm and, and head on out. And as I'm standing in line to check out, this guy walks up and goes, Hey, what are you buying that seven millimeter Mauser for? And, and I go, Oh, I have an 1895 Chilean. And, and he's like, Oh yeah. And he's like, I, I uh, it turns out he's the owner of the store. And he, he starts pulling out his phone. And he's like, check this out. 
And I guess like he's he's one of the largest collectors in in the United States of Millsurfs. I don't even remember his name. I have it on a card somewhere, but like he has he has a house that he owns that just holds his guns. <laughs> just, <laughs> and it's just like he showed me pictures on his phone. It was just like here's this room, which is all which is all machine guns. And I was like, here's this room, and here's this room, and I was just like, who am I talking to? <laughs> He's like, that's my living house, and that's my gun house next to it. Yeah, I, I, he 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 was super cool and super nice, and it was just like, uh, I think I think he said that he was one of like, on on this side of the Mississippi, he was one of like the top three f- for machine gun owners in the United States. So, and I think like on the west side of the Mississippi is going to be more like people that are out in like. Uh, Las Vegas or something like one of those companies out there, but like as a private owner, he was like one of the top three in the in the United States, and it was just like, oh, cool. That's impressive to have a whole house dedicated to it. I'm yeah, I, I wish I'm I could remember his name. I'm like Jesus, this seems like a lot. I can't even imagine. Yeah, I wish I could remember his name. I have his business card, um, and I remember the gun range or the gun store. And it was a nice gun store. I just didn't have any Millsurp stuff. And he just mm-hmm. started wandering up to me and was like, why is this kid buying seven millimeter Mauser? It's, it's something simple like that. And you make a friend. He sounds like a fun yeah, friend yeah. to have. Yeah, he was a nice guy. Super cool. Sometimes those guys. Sometimes you just have those encounters and they just, you you never expect them. We've had those before too. They're, they're tons of fun and always surprise you. Yeah, sometimes those guys are just really unassuming. Like you would just, they just look like a, you know, a quote unquote regular person, you know, and then you start talking to them and it's like, oh, you're like a multimillionaire and you own thousand guns and like 80 machine guns. And oh, okay. Yeah, I can say 100% of the guys that I know that have that kind of setup, all of them, just your average dude, button up shirt wouldn't be able to tell they're talking about things that they're working on, like their cars or whatever. And it's not like they're hot rods or anything. They're just like, Oh yeah, I got this Ford truck. I'm you know, dicking around with or whatever. And just dump turns out multi multi-millionaires and they're just doing that in their spare time. Yeah, man. And those, the NFA stuff too. It's just, it's like a money game. You know, that's like for the, that's for the, the, the big boys, the, the lawyers and doctors and stuff can get into that. Mm-hmm. Or just the people that got into it back when it was cheap, because I guess you know, forty years ago it wasn't wasn't such a big deal. Now, forty years ago, you could also amass large collections of one strain of something. You know, nowadays everything is getting kind of split up. All right, so I found it for people that are listening. Uh, it was Ashland, Kentucky, and the name of the sporting goods store is Borders Sporting Goods. B O R D E R S. So did you just let everyone know that the owner of that place is he, he loaded? He, he he knows, Danny. If you go look at the website, he knows. <laughs> but he's also he was also standing in the middle of his store right next to the checkout line showing me pictures of guns and talking about all his machine guns. I've been here before. This floor looks familiar. It's possible. I've been through Kentucky a few times, so it's actually possible I've been to this store. Well, Ashland's kind of not really um, on the way anywhere. I mean, kind of it is. It's off 64, but um, it's a ways off 64. 
but yeah, that was just, it was just fun to talk to somebody that out of nowhere was just like, oh yeah, I love mill serves. And it was just like, oh, cool. Hmm. Neat. Yeah. You never know. Yeah. I, I, I've not done very many videos with Danny, unfortunately and unfortunately. Um, so I don't get recognized anywhere. <laughs> I've got, I've got the really popular Siamese Mauser video that has like 500 views and then the super popular M95 video that we filmed in my dad's garage in front of his 76 uh, Corvette. And most of the comments on that one are about the Corvette. (laughs) Yep, of course. Internet, man. Never makes sense for what triggers and what hits. Ah, the other video, the Siamese video should have way more views than that. Yeah, we did a video, I did a video with our mutual friend Sam, who's been on here before, and it was his first time shooting, uh, what was it, his first time shooting um, a a K31, an M9530, and a uh, FNFAL, because I had an FNFAL, and the the Siamese Mauser, we filmed us both shooting it for the first time, uh, because that was the first time I actually got the rounds to work. Um, and then also at the time I had an M57 and, and a Gaunt revolver and I showed, I, it was his first time shooting those two and he hated the Nagant revolver, which was fair, <laughs> but he loved the FNFAL so much that he bought it from me. Oh, wow. and it was his, it's, it's his first semi-automatic and his only semi-automatic firearm he's ever owned. And it was like, when he shot it, he was like, I'm going to buy this from you. I'm like, okay, cool. I'm like, yeah, whatever. And he's like, no. He's like, I'm buying this. It's like, no, I'm in love. I need this, please. Yeah, and he did. And he he um he loves it. When you find something that just works for you, it's like what happened with me and it's it's so stupid. VZ two thousand eight. Um, first time I shot one and we had we had just bought it too. Like it, it wasn't anything that I had shot previously. So first time shooting it just drilled a hole. Everything about it just ergonomically felt great and it worked well with the cartridge so i was tickled pink and now we've got a fixed stock on it through a little through a little red dot, dot side on it and the the bipod um the detachable bipod on it which if no one's seen those uh there's only like one dude who's selling them right now get them while you can because those things are amazing they detach so quickly and attach so easily too but yeah it's one of my favorite guns just Perfectly fun to shoot, and it just hit all the right marks for me that day. Very happy to have one. And the magazines on those are surprisingly light. Like first yeah, time are. I picked one up, I was like, "Whoa!" I was expecting it to be as heavy as a you know, like a steel AK mag. Mm-hmm. Nope, surprisingly light. You can carry a ton of them. Let's see, well, uh, we just sort of mentioned some milserps that we don't like, uh, which ties into this question: uh, Is there a milserp? You hate more than the Reich's revolver. Uh, probably that Italian veteran you were talking about before, that 708715, the one that's in 6.5 Cucarno. I'm sorry, the one one that's in pieces, you mean? No, them in general. So we went through, the third one finally got to it. So the first one, I I guess there was a headspace issue. The loads were at like 85%, like the normal amount of load for it. We thought that would be enough, but then like it slowly developed like a hairline crack, like right behind the lugs. So that one got DQ'd. 
And then the second one, it just blew itself apart. Like it managed to vent gas both outside, out down the bottom of the magwell and like through the bolt, like into the area and actually managed to cause the bolt to rotate some. That was super fun. And then finally on the third one, at like a 50% load, we managed to send rounds downrange successfully. No squibs, no nothing, managed to get it done. But damn, talk about something not wanting to cooperate with you. That gun just wanted to blow itself apart. And it makes sense that it was not going to be a great one to shoot. Totally not safe to do it. People do at your own risk. I don't recommend it. But yeah, finally at 50% load, we managed to get some rounds successfully downrange. And then we stopped at that. We were like, nope, good. We got the shoot. We're done. Never shooting that again. If a gun explodes on you twice, it kind of leaves a mark. Well, and and I cannot tell you how many times I've seen people go, oh, look at my new Vetterly. And and with the with that conversion and then be like, hey, you might want to be careful with this. And people are like, ah, it's not a big deal. And I was like, no, I mean, I've seen one explode. Like, yeah. They'll do it. It was like, oh, they, they're not that bad. I was like, no, there's video documented evidence of it exploding. <laughs> don't, please just don't chance it. You know, uh, our friend, our friend Zach, he has one. After he saw your video, May, he went and shot his with right. commercial okay, 6.5. No, he saw the video. He saw the pictures. <laughs> yes. Like, I'm gonna shoot it. Yeah, he actually shoots it with commercial loads, too. Oh, God. I'll miss your friend. Yep. What was his name, Zach? He was a good friend. <laughs> yeah, R.I.P. and peace, Zach. <laughs> Not recommended. Don't do it. But yeah, uh, definitely uh, disliked it more than the Reich's Revolver. Although, again, still not looking forward to also having to reshoot that again someday. I do not want to have to reshoot I was the Reich's Revolver say, again. I will. I was going to say earlier when you were saying that you were having to reshoot it, I was like, oh, well, that's going to be a fun one. Oh, yeah. Super looking forward to it. Can't wait. And unfortunately, and it might be within the next dozen episodes. So ah, I'm going to look forward to that. It's going to be a good day. Good. Good time at the range. Freaking hate the box revolver. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm just trying to find one at a decent price. Luckily, um, we uh, had a fan of the show reach out to us, and he's got one, the 79, that he's going to lend to us because we've got an 83 here with us right now. So I get to shoot two. Hey. <laughs> that nice. Fun. Double your pleasure. Double your fun. Double your yeah. Reich's revolvers. You have, a good, you have a good stick picked out for it. Yeah, right? Should just dual wield them. It's like, this is double your fun right here. Oh. That's going to be a fun time at the range. We're just going to, I'm hopefully we're just going to take those and I can just deal with it. I think the only, uh, I'm sorry. I was going to say, I just think the only gun I've ever shot that I just do not like is I had a PSL for a long time and I just did not like shooting it. Like about it. It's, um, so it's basically, it's, it's, it's based on the RPK. So it's, it's basically just a stretched AK to accept the full 7.62 54R and so, like, you know how AKs just kind of rock you? But so this was like the full rifle caliber. So it was just like, and then you're just like rocking back and forth. And then, oh, here we go. And it was just like, it didn't feel like heavy recoil. It was just like it was shoving your whole body around. And I was like, I just don't like doing this. Yeah. And then that's and the then, MPSL, right? What? Sorry. Is it the MPSL? 
I'm, it cut I'm off again. Up. The uh, oh, sorry, is it Romanian? the Romanian PSL? Yeah, it's the Romanian ones, and and then I learned that all of the ones in the United States are not Milserp anyway because uh, the ATF banned them from being imported because they because they're based on the RPK. They had the the third hole for the full auto, even though that PSLs do not have the ability to do full auto. But the the receivers all had the hole already drilled because they were just a, essentially an RPK. And so all the ones in the U.S. are actually new production from like the early 90s uh, where they fill in that hole. Huh. Yeah. yeah. So I didn't even know that they're not even Milserp really. Uh, but I sold it for $1,600. So <laughs> just crazy that they go for that much. At least, you, at least you got rid of your your most dislike. Mine's still yeah. staring at me. Yeah, I got rid of it, and I bought more M95s. <laughs> the biggest collection of M95s, if you can help it. I, I do so, not have the so. largest one. Uh, my friend that I actually have purchased quite a few guns from probably had the largest collection in the United States, if I had to guess. Wouldn't you say, Danny? Probably. He's the he's the man licker. It was the straight pole guy. He had, like, he had the Lee Navy I bought from him. I, I bought the the two most rare M95 versions I have from him. Um, and he's got tons more. And I was like, hey, hey, I've been thinking about buying a Verndal. And he's like, which one? And he posts a pic of like six different kinds. And he's like, which one would you want to buy? And I'm like, what? <laughs> oh, boy, there's more. And I was like, um, I was like, I, I, what do you mean? What, what do you mean? Isn't it just the long rifle and the carbine? And he goes, oh, no, no, no. See, there's the... The 67, long rifle and carbine, and those are different calibers. And then the uh, you have the updated version, which was like 73 or 74 or something like that. And it's like, and those are different calibers too from the 67s, but also between the rifle and the carbine, they're different too. And it, so I'm just like, no, no. Like, stop there. Please don't tell me anymore. So it's like, I don't want to know anymore. I was I was at a, a shop in, in uh, Missouri and they had a Verndal, and I almost bought it, but I ended up buying the Vigero instead. And um, but the Verndal was so funky, I was like, it's it's so weird that it would be cool to have one. Guns to shoot. I shot that Austro-Hungarian Verndal back in the day. That was fun. Yeah, I, I don't know which one you did because apparently there's four different versions of them. I remember the model at the top of my head. Uh, it, it's it's Austro-Hungarian. It's um, it's overly complicated for unnecessary reasons. Oh, anyway, Danny, I'm sorry. I went off on another tangent. What were you going to say? Uh, I was just going to ask the next question to May, which is, uh, was there any rifle or pistol that uh, you've shot on the show that you thought was going to be terrible but turned out better than expected? Oh, the Kakarnos. I thought the Kakarna rifle, um, specifically the cavalry carbine that we brought out, because it looked like terrible, terrible shape. So, and previously, this was still early days of the show, because um, if you look back at it, we have changed ranges um, since the, the beginning of the series. And uh, at that previous range, basically, uh, that, that beginning stages, like the rifles that we got in, well, we had to make them work, so we had to get them to working order. And almost um, about half of them, I want to say, that we got in needed some sort of repair or something done to it to get it working better. 
So when I we brought like a carnage to the range and I saw that cavalry, I was like, oh great, this looks like it's in terrible condition. I bet it's gonna be horrible. It's gonna snag, it's it's just not gonna work, like something's gonna go wrong. And then no, damned if that thing did not drill a hole, damned if that thing did not fire, damned if that thing did not have one single problem the entire time I shot it. And I left thinking, well shit, Kakarnos, they can just have taken a beating their entire lives and then just still perform and not do poorly, you know? It did all right. Oh, the Verndal was a 6777, by the way. I, I couldn't go. remember. I couldn't remember what year the secondary conversion was. Driving me crazy. I was like 67 something, but I couldn't remember. But yeah, the Kakarno easily, like the the that cavalry one we took out. I just very pleasantly surprised. I think people underestimate Kakarnos sometimes. They're resilient for their, I've I've uh, noticed that with all the ones that have come in here recently, there's a lot of people talking about those right now on social media. Are, is the Kakarno market now uh, increasing in price now? <laughs> well, I wouldn't say increasing in price, but it's definitely popular right now, wouldn't you say, Danny? Yeah, everybody's kind of talking about them and, and buying them. Um, I think the ammo is is getting a little bit more hard to find just because of the you know the influx. Everybody's buying six five for them, um, but they're still pretty cheap. Like the um, I'm looking at getting one from uh, Palmetto uh, because they're selling them for two fifty. For the for the TS carbine, yeah, yeah, Matthias still gets emails um, at least once a week, being like, "Hey, I've got this Cacarno. Uh, what is it?" <laughs> I swear, he did that one quick and dirty guide that he put out there, and he still gets questions about people's Bubba Cacarnos being like, "All right, which one is mine? It doesn't quite fit all these." Oh, somebody, somebody Bubba yours, buddy. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. I, I've done that before with him. I've messed with him before, where I sent him a picture of of a random like part of a gun and i was like can you figure out what this is because <laughs> he hates getting those pictures and it doesn't matter what he uh, says he's always yeah. going to get them it's just like but i was like i just sent him like a like a like the pic like a random out of focus picture of like a, a gun like 20 feet away and it was like what is this uh, he is gonna be so bad knowing him he <laughs> just saw that and went nope and just, just <laughs> moved it aside uh, cause yeah, we got, we have them, we get those questions, but like the way people submit them, they usually, um, we don't have it. Uh, if you just email us directly that we can't do anything about, but if you go through the scene arsenal website, there's like the little contact us tab and he's got in there. He's like, yeah. So if you don't show me where you've actually tried to figure this out, like sent, you've sent me a link to your, where you asked this in a forum and nobody got back to you for like your answer on something not gonna really take the time to do that myself because there's just too much I gotta do but yeah we'll get the we'll get the email a few few times a week if not about Kakarno about something else invariably it happens unfortunately uh, there's just not enough time in the world for anyone to do that I can only imagine what Ian's inbox must look like Oh yeah. oh yeah yeah poor Ian hired somebody to just do his email and just be like all right if they ask this, just delete it <laughs> or something like he's got to have somebody else managing because I can't imagine he's doing all that himself. That'd be yeah. crazy. So what you need to do is yeah, you hire a team to, to, you know, to check these emails. Right. And you start charging for it. I'll so just it. let them know, you know, okay, we'll do it. But for a flat fee of 1999, we'll tell you all the specifics that'd probably make people actually do their own research. Oh, yeah, I'm sure that would do that for one. And then two, somebody would try to capitalize on that 
you know, actually do that someday if they had the name built up for themselves. But the amount of time yeah, that would go yeah. into that, I can't even. That's a whole job in and of itself. So yeah. what's really funny, though, is I know I was talking to Othias one night on, on the Discord server, and I was talking to him about um, how there's not really any good books in English for M95s or any kind of really mon liquor stuff in general. And uh, we were discussing one of the books that I have that it's a decent conversion of a German language one. And it has a bunch of um, blueprints and um, patent drawings. And it was oh, talking, nice. well, it, they're, they're low reproductions. The, the original German books are like a huge 11 by 17 in like really beautifully detailed pictures. And this is like a yeah. shitty, like paperback book. And, um, we were discussing a lot of their a lot of the weird stuff that Monlicker came up with, and I was describing this gun, and he's like, "Wait a minute, describe that again." And and then like he was like, "I've I've somebody's asked me about this," and it turns out later on he comes back at later like a couple of weeks later or whatever, and he goes, "Dude, I remember talking to you about this. A guy had messaged me and asked me what this gun is." And I had no idea what it was. And it turns out it was a prototype for one of the guns in this book that was a patent drawing. And it was like, there's only like like 15 of them we know of. Right. And it was like, what? <laughs> and he's like, 100% Monlicker touched this gun for sure. <laughs> that's awesome. And it was like, what? That right there, that's pretty cool. Yeah, and that would be like one of those ones that would be really cool to find like this rare prototype thing that, that, that never existed really as far as anything beyond that. But yeah, I guarantee you, like you so, said, yeah. that's that's one for every 300. What's this Mosin? Yeah, right. God, the one in a million chance, you know. Danny, is my 1943 Mosin uh, 9130 rare? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, how much is this worth? Mm-hmm. Those hex receivers worth extra, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> or, or, or our common joke in our, in our discussions, Danny, is uh, the Arasakas. If it doesn't have a mum, it's only worth ten dollars. <laughs> yep, if it doesn't have a mum, it's worthless. I know that's Mark's. That's Mark's big thing because there's some there's some really rare ones out there. Some very you know uncommon guns that are they don't have a mum, you know, but it's like the only one. Yeah, he got real mad the other day because he posted this really rare. Arasaka variant and and people are like it doesn't have a mom it's been it's been ground and it's like are you freaking kidding me (laughs) (laughs) that's that's it's got to be hard to be an Arasaka collector because of that stuff seriously were there any other questions you guys had uh yeah a couple um uh do you have a top five personal favorite mill serps from the show so far I do, but I have to hold off on answering that one because we actually plan on doing a video on that one within the next few months. We've got it all. um, Okay. We're essentially going to sit down and kind of go back and forth between the two of us, our personal favorites. And on top of that, what, how we would rank what we have shot for the series in terms of, you know, the top dogs of the war that we've shot. Not, we're going to exclude ones we haven't done, but of course, you know, we're going to give our personal top five in that one. So that'll be its whole other thing. Okay. I mean, That's I do. Good. That'll be something to look forward to. Oh, yeah. I definitely do have my own personal favorites, but I don't want to give it away 
just yet. Okay, but uh, I would probably get yelled at if I didn't ask this question. When's the 1911 episode coming out? Oh, shut up. No. <laughs> Never. <laughs> We're going to do all the other 1911s before that one. No, seriously. Uh, what happened with that one? That was COVID. Um, we had everything. We essentially, uh, plan A for the 1911 was we get in all of the models we could possibly get our hands on, shoot all of them, and basically talk our way through them, making a multi-episode 1911 episode. Plan A didn't happen. We No one really came forward with a lot of options for us for borrowing any different like models of the 1911, so we had to scrap that. Plan B was we drive up to Springfield, who does have a lot of them there, and we can at least do you know in-depth at the actual Springfield um, National Museum and talk about the guns there with the curator and show them, have nice pictures of them and COVID because this was all scheduled essentially to happen in April. So essentially we had to nix that plan as far as uh, push it down the line. So it's not not happening. It's just we have to wait for restrictions to lift in order for us to take the curator's time because essentially he booked out an entire week to spend with us and let us take photos of whatever else was there. Cause we weren't just going to do the 1911. It's like going to the range. We're not just going to do one gun. We were going to do several guns while we were up there and also take a ton of photography because they have a bunch of stuff that they just don't have the ability to put on display. But it is, um, it is something that is tentatively planned to attempt again, the beginning of next year. But again, we have to see how restrictions um, will allow us because we still really want to shoot for this plan B of uh, the Springfield trip to make the 1911 episode all that we can possibly make it into, you know, without essentially having to without without being able to shoot everything like we normally would. Well, it's it's become a meme at this point. So I know like literally we may get through because we just did the freaking Swiss G and K 1911. So, I mean, I'm sure, you know, there were jokes in there being like, aha, see what you guys are doing, all the 1911s before the 1911. Oh, we just <laughs> want to make a really good 1911 episode because, I mean, there's a lot of information out there about the 1911. We want to do it right and we want to do it justice. So, we're going to shoot for what we can. If, and if, and if before you guys, wow, Danny, he's barking at me. Uh, and then, Sorry, my dog. <laughs> and then I would say, if anything, I'm sure that 1911 video will be the most scrutinized video that you guys do. Oh, yeah, hands down. Anything that's wrong is going to get called out instantly. So we're going to do our best to make it right. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's good that you're actually not rushing into it, that you're taking your time. That's definitely something that uh, I think will benefit a lot from that. Um, and also, I think that will segue us into the last question which is um, how has COVID affected the show so far? Uh, it has done that. Uh, so essentially um, we work from home, so it didn't impact us in that way in that we were still able to continue our work at the house. Um, we were still able to go to the range to do our outdoor filming. Now we're getting into the realm of ammo, 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 ammo. Since primers are going and ammunition is already hard enough to get as it is, we are looking at essentially that would cripple the show as if of course we didn't have any ammo. So we've already got our reloader set up essentially with a fair bit of primer. So he should be able to reload us for us safely for the next few years. But again, you never know something can happen, knock on wood, it doesn't, but 
that could potentially impact us depending on how how things unravel or how things come back together within the next few years for ammo production and then anything else for now that's going on it it just restricts us from making trips anywhere that we might like we said to the springfield museum or to potentially any any local um gun uh stores or not gun stores um uh gun shows or things like that which means we've been having to primarily purchase anything we might need for the show online and some places aren't set up for that so that can be restricting as well but we're making do we're getting through we're trucking along we're going to do our best to still um still keep up with what we plan on doing for our releases we're still going to keep trying to shoot everything we can possibly get our hands on and then some and just it might mean potentially um in the next few years if we can't get a hold of everything we want to shoot for World War 1 that we just break out of World War One and into like we already have with the neutrals. Essentially, that's what it, it did force us to do is go into the neutral territory sooner than what we expected. We expected to hit neutrals next year, but just because we weren't able to make the trips we needed to or necessarily find the guns that were no longer available or potentially not up for sale forced us to do something we weren't planning to start until next year. They're being well received, though. So that's good. Yeah. 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 They're they're great. That's they're they're guns that I you know, didn't necessarily think you guys were going to cover, you know, for years. And, um, and I wanted to ask that question particularly because, you know, if it, if it wasn't maybe for, you know, you covering the neutrals, like I wouldn't know at all that, that, you know, the, the COVID was affecting the, the sh- your show at all, because it's still the same, same good, high quality, you know, production. And. Oh yeah. We're not um, going to compromise. We we've made the the statement that we intend to keep improving and our supporters have literally come through on that front where they're not letting up their support. So we're not going to compromise on our end either. We're going to give them what they're asking for. And hopefully we'll even get even more help in the future um, for um, future shows we plan on doing, not just the, uh, not just the uh, direct shows related to CNR Arsenal, but uh, some future secret projects that we have in the works too. But I will keep them secret for now. Oh. Ooh. But we have to wait for things to, to pan out before I can announce them officially. But yeah. Sometimes. Yeah. yeah, that'll be cool. I um, I personally can't wait for, for you guys to, um, I know it's, I know that there's so many still like in the, you know, pre-19 era to cover, but um, when you guys eventually do, you know, branch out into into World War II guns, um, that's something I'm I'm really really looking forward to. Same here. I'm looking forward to not having to work from a fixed list. That sounds nice. Yeah, especially when that list gets more and more restrictive as it goes on. Oh, it's been squeezing us pretty tight. So we'll do what we can. We'll get through what we can. And if we don't get to everything in time, we'll definitely try to go back and revisit it when we have it in our hands. That's Besides, like the the nineteen eleven, what? But that's that's not that rare, obviously. But I mean, some of the variants probably are. But like, um, is there anything like more common that you haven't been able to get to? Um, I'm trying to think. Well, not really necessarily more common, but a pure Colt eighteen ninety five machine gun, not the Marlin. Um, but uh, it's got a different uh, injection port on the side, if I remember correctly been having a hard time finding one of those and then um there's a few other small things here and there i want to say i can't remember the entire list off the top of my head i know Thais has it written down but unfortunately i'm not familiar with everything else off the top of my head but a true potato digger would be nice the one that was actually used in the war 
That would be really nice. We've only seen one in person, and that got sold at an auction um, two years ago. We're hoping that we're going to regain contact with them sometime this next year. Wait, Danny, doesn't Gage have one? Maybe not, yeah. maybe not the right one or whatever, but... Yeah, he does. Um, yeah, I, I, I saw it at a shop. But it's not the right model, right? I don't know. I don't know anything about them. It was... He was bringing out so many other machine guns that it was like in the back of the safe, and I didn't really get a good look. It's playing with like the 0815 and stuff. So it's um, the it's the Colt one you said, May. Yeah, it's got like a. a I want to say it's the ejection port that's different on this one. Don't quote me on that. Uh, somebody I'm sure will correct me on this thing, but like it's it's set up on the left side of it differently, and. Uh, I want to say the ribbing at the front is different too. I'm trying to remember all the differences in it, but like most people mistake one for the other pretty readily, but only one of the, only the, the original one was used in the war by, by record accounts. So we're having a hard time. We've all, like I said, we've only seen one. Yeah. I'll, uh, I'll give you the, the contact information for, uh, for gauge. Cause he, he had one when I was there like a year ago. So, I think it's a different one, but yeah. Always willing to run down leads. Gage has a lot of cool stuff. Yeah. Yeah, he really does. What was the, what's the Luxembourg Mauser he does, he has, right? <clears throat> yeah, his, yeah, Luxembourg Mauser, which looks almost identical to the, uh, to the Swedish, Swedish Mauser. Um, yeah, he had a guy walk in the shop trying to sporterize it. Yeah, he wanted, to, yeah, a guy brings it in and he wants to sporterize it. And oh. uh, Gage, yeah, and Gage looks at it. He knows what it is because Gage is just super knowledgeable. And he just goes, how about you just pick out any rifle you want and we'll trade? And, and so, he, so he got to, got to keep it. Um, yeah, when I good. went into a shop, yeah, yeah. And when I went into a shop, it was just like in the Lux Mauser was just in like the row of mill syrups that he has for sale. Like it wasn't for sale, obviously, but he'd keep some of his own personal guns like in the shop. Like just to just to like you know for people to come in and pick it up and talk to him about it. Nice. He sounds like a cool dude. Yeah, he is. He's a, he's a really cool guy. Yeah, I'll give you his yeah his contact number about the about that. He has a couple like other stuff that you guys have already covered, like the Hotchkiss, and um, he has a couple choo choos. Um, couple of choo choos. Yeah, yeah, the Shoshas. Okay. Um, yeah, I thought that's what uh, that's what Mark calls him, right? The cause. I don't know. Unfortunately, I don't think I saw that episode that he did. I didn't get to see all of the ambles that they went through on um, on the on the uh, scene arsenal thing. I didn't actually review each one of them. Oh yeah, yeah, they're they're awesome. Mark is Mark is a uh, he's a national treasure. He's hilarious. The show shots, on the other hand, eh, not so much. Those things are. <laughs> They really are. Yeah, yeah. I was I was really surprised how heavy they were. I just couldn't, you, you know, when I when I picked one up, it was just super heavy, super awkward feeling. It wasn't. It, they weren't made for humans. Well, you know, damned if anything, they're good for walking fire. They're really good at that because you just lay them up against your side and it just shoots where your hip is set. It's perfect. Yeah, yeah. I could see that. That'd be probably terrible. the best <laughs> the best yeah, thing for it. From, terrible any other way. Perfectly reasonable with walking fire. Yeah. Oh man, did we actually manage to cover all the questions? Uh, yeah. We did it, guys. We did it. 
We did it. I'm proud yeah. of us. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> cool. Yeah, I I appreciate you so much for for coming on the podcast and you know taking that taking the time out of your schedule and everything to come on. Well, thank you guys for inviting me. I had a good time. Again, sorry I missed the message to begin with, but I'm I'm glad I was here. This was great. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, yeah, it was it was it was really nice to have Othias come on the show. He was like our our first um, you know like a bigger YouTube guest to to come on the show and uh, yeah. Which I thought was really nice of them, and it's 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 really nice of you to come on as well. And I really appreciate both you guys, and I I appreciate the 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 show that you guys do. You know, it's more than just a uh, you know just a, a project. It really is you know a, a passion for many people. And you know, your guys's episodes are the best source of information for a lot of people who maybe can't you know afford books. And uh, and I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that maybe you know would have gotten you know screwed over on some sort of deal on Millsurps or maybe made a pretty big financial, you know, mistake on buying, a, you know, buying the wrong gun that your videos, you know, stopped from happening. And, you know, you don't even know that it happened, but I'm sure you guys have, you know, really positively impacted a lot of people, you know, across the world, which is, which is really like great. We're all doing, man. We're all trying to kind of give a little bit of insight out there and to show things that they wouldn't necessarily have. And I hope if anything, the episodes and what we do drives people to go and actually buy the books from the authors because we don't get me wrong. We try to cover everything we can, but we're having to do a massive summary of what is an extensive amount of research that those authors put into it. So I hope people are getting interested in going get snagging their books, too. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Those authors definitely don't get enough, you know, um, you know, attention for the work that they do. Yeah, I agree. Met a few of them in person. Very nice. Very nice people. They're all yeah, um, willing to help out. Recently, we had Boss Martins who did who helped us extensively with, with our Dutch episodes. Really cool guy. Uh, just happened to send him an email hoping to hear something and he got back to us and it was really good help. Um, it'd be cool to have maybe more more authors and stuff like that on here in the future. You know, maybe we can direct some more attention, you know, to their books and stuff like that because they really do deserve it. Well, thank you guys again. I appreciate y'all's help with all this. This was great. Yeah, you, I mean, thank you so much again for, for coming on. I, I appreciate it. Oh, Aaron had to put his toddler to bed, so that's why he's not responding. But uh, thank you, everyone, for, for listening and, and, and uh, for, for supporting us, for our patrons that support the podcast um, on Patreon. We, the, this wouldn't be a podcast if it wasn't for your support on there, so I appreciate that. And, uh, and while you're on Patreon, go ahead on over to CN Arsenal and support Support man Othias for the for the hard work that they put into this to this hobby and passion of of military surplus. And uh, thanks thanks again, May, for coming on. And we well, all thanks for having me. We had a great time. Yeah, thanks. Okie doke. And uh, Aaron can just stop recording whenever. <laughs> Bye, Aaron.